0: Hi there. This is Richie P. Um welcome to Hobby Sofa. Before we get going, um I just wanted to have a quick chat with you guys about a serious cause that's very close to my heart. It is of course about podcasts and the lack of representation that's going on at the moment. <laughs> um and so in the spirit of goodwill, and I'm sorry I can't keep this up much longer (laughs) basically, um, I would like to call out, to a small extent, um, a good podcast, uh, The Grumpy Wargamers, I recommend if you're interested have a look at them, they're very very funny Um, I'll see if I include notes for you as to a link Um, they haven't done a recording in a long while, and I'm hoping that this call out will somehow get them to you know, put something out again. Please do. So, in the spirit of goodwill, I want to put myself out there a little bit and record for you a, how to put this, a story session, so to speak. So before we get started with the main podcast, um, I would like to read to you a short story that I've written for my new gaming project I'm working on which is a sci-fi miniatures game called First Law Override. So now this story is titled Another Day in the Block. So, let me begin. I hope you're all sitting comfortably. (laughs) Part 1. Tannis hated the block. That much was true. He wasn't sure what it was. Maybe the cramped conditions? Perhaps it was the human stink that flowed over everything, or the use of impure steel and concrete as building materials. Whatever the cause, the fact still remained. Tannus hated the block. The block was the nickname for a series of megatower housing located on the fringe world referenced by his people as NU6297, or, as the humans called it, Tanker 5. It was a lifeless world with almost no resources worth mentioning, which was the exact reason why, despite the relative ease the world could be terraformed, it was left untouched by the governing parties of the Outer Fringe. When the humans arrived in the Outer Fringe, it was because Tanker 5 was vacant that they picked it as their base of operations, including their appropriately named hub of industry, Capital City, and the less reputable equivalent, Freeport. It had only taken a matter of months following the Terraformation for the humans to start building their structures, or tower blocks, gigantic structures, literally 150 to 200 stories high, and tower block seven had been the largest of them all. Each structure built with reinforced concrete and erected, in some cases in the space of a week or two, the end result a horrifically grey tower of artificial human ingenuity covered in a sprawl of reinforcement struts and bars. Once the blocks were all built, they were abandoned by those who lived in the now glistening spires of Capital City, and those who needed somewhere to live as was the case with all humans, as they are all refugees now, but could not afford to live in the nicer towns and city regions of Tanker five, we even access to these already dirty and tarnished buildings. In a matter of months the residents of the tower blocks had begun to add to their structures, connecting all manners of scaffoldings and walkways that connected each of the tower blocks together into one large mega block, all nestled around its central heart of tower block seven. It was this collection of Tower Blocks, with their unusually connected walkways and canopies, that gave the collection their new name. The Block. Tanis was a Haidan, and a respected member of the Wraiths, but despite all of this his duties had him hiding out in the Block, waiting for any word he could gather of a Kratel smuggling ring going on. Official word from the Red Claw, the Cratel's ruling body in this region of the Outer Fringe, said that his intel was wrong. There was no smuggling operation and that the Red Claw would not wish to damage its continuing peace negotiations with the United Earth Force. Of course, Tannis knew better than to believe anything a Red Claw rep would say to him. It had been a good few months since Tannis had acquired his temporary lodgings in the block. The walls of his apartment appeared not to have been maintained even once since its construction, and the lack of maintenance had clearly shown. On all sides of his apartment, he could hear the shouts and moans of his neighbours. Humans, all in unfortunate conditions, but unwilling to do what was needed to drag themselves out of the scum-filled holes they now lived in. Tanis hated his neighbours with increasing venom every day, and he knew that they harboured similar opinions towards him. Here he was, a wraith operative, trying to make their lives all the better, and they threw juvenile insults like E.T., Xeno, and Bonehead in his way. On an almost daily basis, Tannis thought about abandoning his post and returning back to the Nexus, the glorious crystalline citadel that his people called home, free-floating in the depths of space. He longed to taste the crystal-fresh water that they purified on sight, and leave this dump of a world behind him. How unfortunate, he would think, that he had not been born different, able and willing to leave his post, his duties, and his expectations. Tannis reached to his refrigerator a rusting construction that must have been as old as the building itself and with a grimace in his face pulled out a can from its chilled drinks holder the can was luminous green and displayed in vivid red letters the brand name second best tannis tutted slightly in disapproval as he remembered the ad slogan can't afford the rest try second best tannis cracked the seal and took a fast swig from the can it tasted like pond water but it was clean That was more than he could say about the off-colour, repurposed fluid that flowed through the block's taps. It was also fortified with enough nutrients that, should someone need to, they could survive for 24 hours on a single can alone. They wouldn't do well, however, and after a week of living like that, all manner of horrible sicknesses would settle in. But it was a cheap alternative, which is why the cans were handed out in the local soup kitchen as a food substitute. Placing the open can on his sideboard, Tannis approached his apartment window and peeked outside through his drawn synthetic blinds. Looking out into the perpetual brown rain that poured around the block, Tannis was reminded of his business partner, a human by the name of Brooks. Tannis didn't have time for many humans, but Brooks was a fellow wraith and had proven himself to Tannis on more than one occasion. Like a rusted neon jungle, thought Tannis. Those were the words Brooks had used. A rusted neon jungle. Tennis wasn't sure if Brooks had meant the jungle or the neon was rusted, and it puzzled him to no end thinking about how a neon colour could end up rusty. But he liked the phrase, and it had stuck with him ever since. Tannis was unsure how long he'd been stood at the window. He'd noticed a few human children playing on the support girders below, and either out of disgust or possible concern he had willed them to go away out of sight. That was when his door rang. It was a high-pitched and nauseating sound, like a drill scraping against bone. But it did the job, and Tanis paced extremely quickly to his door, and placed his eye against the peephole. On the other side of the door stood a human, just under six foot tall, with a thin frame and face, and dark, messy, unkempt hair, that sprouted from his head in tufts, but attempts had clearly been made to smooth down with a spit-covered hand. The human wore dark leather brown coat, clearly synthetic a black T-shirt worn and tattered around the neck, with what appeared to be the pattern of a cybernetic cratel skull on the front. Tennis recognized the human as his partner, Brooks, and unbolted, unlocked, and opened the door. "'Jesus, man!' laughed Brooks. "'Dude, you look like shit!' Tannis turned to a small rectangular mirror across the room of his apartment and took note of his appearance. His skin appeared his usual very pale white-green, his lips the usual darker green, and his eyes his usual deep yellow. He continued to check his appearance, his head looking not too dissimilar from a bald humans, only with bone ridges covering the sides. It looked as it always did, and his topless chest, revealing his dark green mottled spots, appeared also just as they always did. Tannis turned back to Brooks with a confused look on his face. <laughs> Never, mind, man, continued Brooks, who patted Tannis on the right shoulder before pushing him past into Tannis' kitchen. Grabin was left with the can of second best and slumped into the apartment's only couch. Brooks held the can front of him and rattled it in the air. It's this shit that does it to you, you know," continued Brooks. "You boneheads aren't supposed to eat human food. There was something about the way Brooks talked that always put Tanner on edge. In fact, it was the same with any human. It wasn't the words used or even the slurs in Brooks's case. It was the language itself, like most on the outer fringe. Both Tannis and Brooks had translators installed behind their right ear, was inserted into the dermis layer of the skin, and reacted the vibrations from the ear canal to take the sounds heard, translate it into his native tongue, and then, via a series of nerve endings, transmit the new words back. It performed the job well, however, it always caused new users to become disorientated, and came with a medical warning against any movement for all but the first 72 hours after installation. The worst part, however, was translation delay. It was only a fraction of a second before the translation kicked in, but it meant that for that microsecond you could hear the speaker in all their crudeness. It wasn't xenophobia or anything similar, it was just a respect for art that Tanis had. All the Haidan dialects were carefully orchestrated, like an operatic sheet of music to the extent in his native tongue the word for speech and song was the same word. All human language, however, sounded like Haidan children learning their first guttural demands. Tannis shook his head at the trail of thought. At least, he thought to himself, at least it's better than that bottom-feeding filth you hear from the cartel. Part Two Brooks lay sprawled on Tannis' couch. His chattered jeans and battered shoes left a smattering of dust and dirt on the upholstery, but Tannis didn't care. The couch was only a couple of months away from being thrown away. "'It's on, dude,' smiled Brooks to Tannis. There was a sly smile, suggesting that the man knew more than he was ready to let on at that exact moment. But Tannis replied by querying just what it was, and what did Brooks mean by implying it was on. Brooks laughed, and continued to explain about the smuggling deal they'd been waiting on. Midnight. "'On the dot,' Brooks carried on. "'UST, of course.' Tannis shook his head in disapproval again. UST or Universal Standard Time—something the humans had instilled when they reached the fringe. Before that, the Haidan had been happy going by Nexus time, and he assumed the Quatels had owned their own times as well. But here came the humans with their inelegant ships and muscle-bound, all-encompassing time zones. If it hadn't been considered of the utmost rudeness, Tannis would have spat at the thought. Brooks looked at the wall-mounted clock on Tannis's wall and checked his watch before sighing to himself. He spread his lips into a smile and continued his one-way conversation. So you got five hours, yeah? Brooks questioned rhetorically. We're talking, what, seven? Bone time? Tennis wanted to argue, to state that he should stop referring to him and his people as bones and boneheads. But he thought better of it. Despite his flaws, Brooks was a great wraith and an excellent partner to have in the field raising his voice over something as trivial as a racial slur might disrupt the relationship. And he had seen far too many operatives die over less. Tannis nodded and replied. See you on site. Brooks shook his head, however. <laughs> no good, bro, replied Brooks. be crawling with clickers, Brooks held a digipad and pressed the activate button at the bottom. The pad was only a bit bigger than Brooks's hand, only a few centimetres thick, with a screen that took up most of the device. As the button was pressed, the screen activated, creating a small, holographic image that floated above the screen, showing a series of maps. Brooks held out a finger to add one of the buildings on the map. There, he continued. HQ has that place in lockdown. We'll meet on the roof. It'll give us a clear view all the way to the exchange. Tannis nodded and silently gestured to his door. Brooks picked up his digipad and left with no further exchange of words between them. Both operatives were now in full work mode. The time passed as it always did, as Tannis prepared for an operation to go live. He knew that together they had been tracking a series of data packets for the past month. They both knew that an exchange was due to happen. Illegal phase-loop drives, or shockers as they were more commonly known due to the initial physical response that they gave anyone on board the ship when activated. A single shipment had been intercepted by another wraith, about two months prior to his posting, but Tannis' intel told him that another exchange was due to happen soon, and the wraiths did not want illegal shockers being used, especially if it involved the cartel. As the hours passed, Tannis exercised, meditated and showered. He hated his shower as the same filthy water came out of it. More often than not, he felt dirty after washing did before, but it was all part of his pre-op routine. No matter how much he despised the block, he was not about to allow some dump of a complex to disrupt his routine. Shower complete, Tennis dried himself and got dressed. His operative clothing was a skin-tight black bodysuit that covered every inch of his body up to his neck. The suit was thermally controlled, keeping Tennis's body at constant temperature. It was also covered in all the usual places with pouches and compartments that made holding onto equipment and tools all the easier. Tennis never understood why it always made Brooks laugh as the human referred to his bodysuit as a onesie, whatever that meant. On top of the bodysuit, Tannis wore a long coat, and was a tattered dark green, and made of synthetic cotton-like material, complete with the hood, allowing him to half-blend in with the destitutes who lined the streets of the block. Tannis looked at his face, reflected in the mirror. He considered himself the epitome of professionalism, and he was silently pleased to see that once again his appearance projected the same. Sliding a heavy set of goggles onto his head, Tannis flipped up his coat's hood and walked to his front door, collecting his sidearm as it did a weighty pistol that he had modified to fire the explosive ammunition used by the UEF rifles. It was noisy and messy, but did the job when he was cornered on an operation. Set above his doorway was a black metal briefcase. It looked heavy, and came with a voice reader and fingerprint scanner lock. Tanis pulled it down with both hands, strapped it to his wrist, opened his front door, and stepped out into the filthy corridor that connected his apartment to the rest of the block. Part 3 the climb to the top of the meeting site had been tough. There was a fire escape system that, when climbed, could take someone from the ground floor all the way to the roof. It was that which Tannis had just done, and now, with the brown, dirty outer block below him, Tannis was able to see all the way out to the wasteland. The journey from his apartment to the outer blocks had been relatively hassle free. Tannis encountered a few hecklers, kids mainly. They straddled the support girders ahead and shouted obscene comments to everybody, including non humans, the elderly, and women. Tennis thought to himself, that they probably shouted abuse anyone who wasn't a member of their gang or crew, or whatever the kids were calling themselves. It had taken little more than twenty minutes to get across the block on foot. Tennis had stuck to the floor; it had been double that due to the twists and turns of the complex roads. But tennis was not a tourist in the block. He knew his way across the hanging supports and paths allowed for more direct travel. He had overheard the local kids once refer to it as "running the girders." Tennis liked this expression. When he first arrived on the block, Tannis had wondered why it was rare to see people running the girders, and why not everybody had used it as their primary mode of transport. But when he would first attempted it, he learned why firsthand. hand wasn't sure what was worse between the biting winds that tried to blow the unsure footed from the rails, the acidic rain that ran into unprotected eyes and burned, or the thick smog that rose from the countless air vents pouring their noxious chemicals skywards before it too was eventually swept away by gale-force winds. One thing was clear to him, it would take skill and patience if he was to master the girders, and to begin with, time was the one thing Tannis had plenty of. Below him, Tannis could see the meeting site of his target, some neon-lit crossroads that illuminated everything in a bright pink, a stark contrast between the grey concrete and muddy brown rain that continued to fall from the block's eco-bubble. Slowly and carefully, Tannis kneeled down, before placing his briefcase at his feet. It felt good to unload the weight, and with gentle fingers he released the lock, causing the case to smoothly open automatically. Inside the case was a thick layer of protective foam, and nestled within this were four long, matte black cylinders, along with numerous other trinkets that ranged from squares to triangles. Gently, Tannis caressed each component as he lifted them out of the case, and began to snap them together, when suddenly he stopped and held his breath. Tennis knew that someone was behind him, and based on the sudden footfall, he predicted it was no more than fifteen or maybe twenty feet away, It would place the person roughly where the fire escape ladder was located. With practiced care and precision, he grasped his pistol strapped to his chest-mounted holster and spun on the spot. The gun held aloft aimed at the unknown assailant's chest. The person by the fire escape took a step backwards and yelped, and then spoke. "'What the hell, dude?' called a person, revealing himself as Brooks. He was wearing the same clothing as before, only his head was covered in a dark balaclava, and his chest wrapped in a bulletproof jacket. To Tannis, he looked less like a wraith, and more like a mercenary. Tannis thought for a moment. He hated the way that Brooks dressed, and he wanted to call Brooks on it, but he knew what Brooks would say. How things were different now. The wraiths were no longer exclusive to the and how the contacts they took were no longer assassination-focused or based around the glorification of the Hidan Republic. Tannis would reply that they still had a standard to uphold, and they were the best special forces in the Outer Fringe, but Brooks would just laugh and tell him to calm down and relax, that the top brass, or whatever he called them, would be happy if we did the job in trash bags, just as long as the job got done. All of this Tannis knew to be true, and so he bit his tongue and said nothing returning instead to the assembly of the contents of his case. Brooke stepped beside Tannis and pulled out a single magnifying scope from a pocket and looked through at the crossroads below. Twelve clickers! Brooke spoke in a hushed tone before continuing, in an almost whisper. Totally cold Tannis hated the term clickers. It was the nickname humans had given the Kratel, the name referencing their language, appearing in the form of clicks and rattles. The Kratau didn't have conventional mouths, Instead, where both humans and Idan had lips, quetel had rows of insect-like mandibles that chattered together. Of course, the translators corrected this into Tannis' own language, but it was still audible, and to many, including Tannis himself, the noise was very off-putting. All the same, he did not appreciate the term. It was no different to him being called a bonehead, but, he had learned long ago that one thing humans enjoyed was creating their own words for things that had already existing names. But he could not fault them for time. It was just what humans did. With a smile of satisfaction, Tanis clicked the final section from inside his case together. Once assembled, the instrument was clearly a rifle, complete with silencer and long-range electronic scope. Tanis brought the rifle to his face, pulled back his hood, allowing the dirty rain to splash across his bone scalp and, with his goggles fixed over his eyes, he stared through the scope. The crossroads was filled with twelve Cratel, just as Brooks had said. Each one was roughly five, maybe six feet tall, covered by thick, dirty cloaks and hoods that obscured their features, but Tannis knew that they were Cratel. Their visibly naked feet, revealing their bone-hard, brown, dark skin, and long, skeletal, claw-like fingers, were more than enough to differentiate them from both humans and Haedan. Tannis thought for a moment that perhaps they could be reborn, but at the same time he wasn't getting any interference on in his scope, and the cybernetic technology the reborn stitched into their bodies always gave off a feedback that even the most basic of electroscopes would be able to detect. One of the targets turned in the direction of both Tannis and Brooks, forcing them to dodge away from the roof ledge for fear of being seen. Both operatives were skilled enough in subtlety and espionage. They knew better than most on how to avoid detection, but they knew better than to leave things to chance. Tanyserf had seen enough. The glimpse of the target had revealed all he wanted. With a dark brown, bone-like skin, and two large, sunken eyes set over a row of bug-like mandibles, it was clear that these were Cartel. Their mission had begun. Part Four Very gently, Tanys applied the slightest pressure to a small button on the side of the electroscope, and from a small speaker located just beside the button. The voices of the Cratel began to erupt in hushed tones. The voices sounded almost as mechanical layers smothered over a series of unmistakable clicks. Two Cratel were arguing. The first, the Cratel on the left, was arguing that shipment was full of duds, while the second, the Cratel on the right, was arguing that their supplier would only provide final product on final payment. Neither had yet to make any mention of shockers. I've had enough of this bullshit, Tannis heard from behind, and spinning a right way from his scope, he saw Brooks slipping off his dirty synthetic leather jacket and replace it with a thinner, ribbed plastic coat. Before Tannis had time to react, Brooks had already sprinted towards the edge of the roof and leapt into the air. For a moment, Brooks plummeted to the ground before stretching his arms wide, revealing large, ribbed wings that stretched between his wrists and waist. Tannis had seen Brooks do this trick on many occasions and it did not faze him in the slightest as the human wraith glided his way to the eight, down the eight stories of the occupied building to land amidst the cratel gathered at the building's feet. The same, however, could not be said about those Cretel, who scrambled for weapons and cover for this new threat. Tanis watched as his partner began a small-scale scuffle with the immediate cratel. He spun his heels with pistol in hand and with single shots put well-placed bullets between each cratel's large black eyes. At one point, it looked like one of the clickers was about to get the better of Brooks, as it pulled a two-handed mag rifle from his tattered rags and cloak and levelled it at Brooks. Tanis responded in kind, and released a single silent shot from his own rifle at the Cratel, and the target fell to the floor, its mag rifle clattering into the mud. As the mag rifle hit the floor, and its own owner's blood began to pool in the dirt-covered ground, the remaining Cratel all looked in Tannis' direction, before running at full speed away from Tanis, and their more immediate fear pistol-brandishing combatant, Brooks, who, with little difficulty, fired single shots into the back of each cratel's head as they scrambled for safety. Tanis continued to watch from his high perch atop the building, and only fired once more from his rifle when he feared one of the that had climbed to the other side of a chain-link fence might get away. As before, Tanis's rifle released a single bullet that silently punctured the cratel's head. The inertia, knocking it clear of the fence it had hung from, and it lay sprawled over a pile of rubbish and unwashed rags that had been dumped from the apartments above. With all the quartel accounted for, Tannis descended from the building's roof using the same fire escape he had climbed originally. With his rifle hitched over his right shoulder and his heavy metal case in his left hand, he walked with an almost swagger towards Brooks, who was now rummaging through piles of boxes and cases stacked against a wall. It was clear to Tannis that Brooks was not happy. Duds! The clickers were right! Brooks shouted in anger. All of them duds!" Tanis calmed Brooks, explained that they had done a good job. They had more than enough evidence here to track down the source of the shocker dealer. Brooks nodded reluctantly and pulled out a long thin tube from one of his pockets. The tube looked, by all accounts, to be very similar to a flashlight. However, when Brooks raised his device at the now dead eyes of Crotel and pressed the raised button on the back, instead of a bright light, a series of green and blue beams emitted from the end as it scanned the irises of the dead Cartel. Tanis knew how this device worked. How it scanned and recorded the unique iris pattern, and stored it remotely for analysis later, Brooks would then take this information and cross-reference it with the Wraith database in order to identify who these cratel were, and, with hope, find either a pattern or some of the history that would lead them in the direction of the true dealer. Tannis knew that the Wraith database was not entirely legal, but then the same could not be said of virtually everything else they had done that night and with a sigh, Tans reminded himself that not fifty minutes earlier he had been forced to acknowledge that it was the results their bosses cared about, and not their methods. Placing his case in a nearby pile of boxes, Tans began to carefully and cautiously disassemble his rifle, before gritting his teeth and surveying the surrounding security cameras that littered the streets all around. He would leave Brooks to scan the cartel. Meanwhile, he had security cameras to scrub. After all, he thought to himself, officially the wraiths were not operating in the block, and the UEF would not be happy to learn otherwise so thank you for that I hope you enjoyed my little story time and without further ado on with the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hobby Sofa. I am your host, Richie P., a.k.a. Dr. Loxley, and with me today are my good friends, Andre and Bill. Say hello, guys.
1: Hello, guys.
0: Hello, and uh, I'm, for the very first
2: time, drunk on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I think it's yeah. fantastic.
2: <laughs> because, you know, normally with... Uh, British podcast, you know, people saying, like, what are you drinking, bro, and I never really drink anything, so... <laughs> okay, so come on, what, this are, what are you drinking, bro? It's, uh, Campo Veggio Rioja. <laughs> <laughs> it's Which a red wine, like. Spanish red wine, yes. <laughs> uh.
1: are, are those podcasts where they ask, what are you drinking, bro, are they even still, you know, on the air? Uh,
0: that's what they do in the UK, isn't it? I I don't know if they're still going, but that's largely because I've just stopped, I've stopped listening, Rather than you know. Actually,
2: last time, um, I actually I made everyone laugh, but it didn't make it into the last hobby sofa. <laughs> but uh, Richie was munching something and explained, like, uh, look, uh, guys, I'm eating something, if it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I just went and said, what are you eating, bro? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it it's made everyone laugh. Who had, heard this? It, it's one of those
0: you had to be there
3: moments.
2: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it didn't make into the final cut of a podcast. I actually asked Richie specifically to put it in, but
0: I couldn't splice it in. It was because it was done uh, before we were recording and you know, all this junk.
2: Ah uh, didn't you heard that's on the pig and elephant's jeans won't splice What?
3: Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's one <laughs> it won't, they won't splice, Richie. <laughs>
0: I have no idea what you're talking about, but Uh, I like Drunk Andre, (laughs) we need to see more Drunk Andre! Okay then, so today we've got a, hopefully, a fun packed show for you all. Um, we were hoping to have a fourth place in our, so- on our sofa today, in the form of And Wiseman, but unfortunately he is not able to join us, and Predict will no longer be able to join us anymore as well. So, um, I want to send my best wishes and farewells to Mr. And. And I hope that everything goes well. And there will always be a space on the sofa for you, should you wish to join us in the future.
1: So, so Richie and Andre, let me ask you, because because I was very sad to read Anne's post, but something struck me. And he had asked a question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he might have asked the question on the last hobby sofa. He may have asked the question on Solzo and Train or somewhere. But he had this. He had asked this question about. Um a third way of you know, it's not so much creating your own way of creating games, not so much your own mm. um looking for a bunch of other games, but just dropping out of the hobby completely. Yes. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, here's a guy who's completely dropped out and that's foreign to me. I I mean gaming is so have, integral to what I I
3: have
2: a very I have a fairly clear idea actually about what's going on. Uh, first of all, it's obviously the, what happened after the switch to the second edition Marathon, so the Marathon kind of came out of his life. He sort of tried to, you know, just play it a little bit, you know, because his friends were playing it and all, but, um, he couldn't really get excited about it anymore, unlike me, because Mm -hmm. I can't get enough of it, but... Yeah, especially miniatures, and the, but that's the other thing because that's just only one half of it. He kind of went back to forty k. Mm-hmm. So you're I, saying
1: forty k kills hobbies?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I it, mean, it's it's interesting. I think I think I know what kind of you are getting at, Bill. And um, I remember he mentioned this. I think he mentioned it actually via email when we were discussing about what we could okay. have about for the um, podcast chat. And, um, one of the things that I found very interesting is that he mentioned about people who just, you know, what about people who just quit? Now, this may have been a bit of a portent at the time, because this was before he had announced he was going to, you know, rage quit, so to speak. So, you know, um, but I quit. I've never encountered anyone who's actually quit, quit. I know people who've had, they've taken breaks and they've, you know, because of whatever reasons, but it's always been a break, it's um i once saw a um a webcomic that was done by an artist uh the group was called um uh, mac hall they were called m a c h a l l and um he the final ever webcomic they did before they closed down their production, was, it, it was, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was a poem that's quite famous, and it talks about growing up and how, you know, I'm now an adult, so I have to put my childish things aside. And the final panel, it then has the guy moving to a new house, opening the box and putting them out again, and saying, and then at, at, at the right time, I'll then take it out again and play with it all, all, over, all of them from scratch again. And mm. and that's what the experiences I found, that people for whatever reason they've taken a break because something in their life is meaning it's not the right time to do it now. Okay, so later R- on. Mm.
2: Richie, there's a couple of things I wanna say before I forget them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was once planning to do a webcomic myself. Oh yeah. And um, it was gonna be like sort of my revenge against weird. For what I suffered on the forums, but then I thought it was a waste of my talent. Okay. But what I was planning, actually... Well, I kind of missed the train here, uh, because this was going to be a Christmas special. I was going to do a Christmas special about Weird, where (laughs) Eric was going to get visited by Free Spirits. (laughs) Yeah, and so the past would show him being a gamer and a painter, because I know he paints very well uh Then the present would be what he's doing with the second edition now, and uh, the future—what uh, basically you know—it's—it's uh, it's about when Scrooge, after he dies, yeah. what happens. But yeah. so if if Eric was suddenly to drop dead. You know <laughs> what would happen to malafoe and uh, it probably gets sold to whiskids and they would do pre-painted Malfoy figures <laughs> and something like that. And uh, yeah, so oh, uh, Bill, you'd be in there as well. Your character would be sort of like Cratchit. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, yeah, it, ne- it never materialized. I w- missed the, cra- the train. It was going to be a Christmas special, but... Well, <laughs> the other well,
1: You thing. know, Christmas is coming up again, Andre. I kind of want to see this now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's too late. It's too late, especially since I'm... Uh, I've I, I got to admit, I only played one game of Malifaux since the beta. And it was first edition of 1.5. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: It was against my... Uh, friend who works in my local game shop, by the way, and, um...
0: Oh, is that uh, David? David, yes. Yeah, and hello, the thing David, is if you're listening. He's not. If you are, hello. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh,
2: the thing is, uh, I had a kind of hard time. I, maybe I slightly got used to second edition, but I had to constantly reference the rules. I don't know, did I get stupid in the meantime or something else? Maybe because I didn't play for a long time, I don't know, but uh okay. it was a so so game. I massacred him by the way.
1: Yeah, I going back to the to leaving the hobby though, I a, yeah. I, I know people I have friends who I would not consider gamers. Mm-hmm. Right? They're and, and they're into sports, they're they do other things. However, I don't know any of them who don't game, if if that makes sense. It's not that they regularly game, but they all play games on the Xbox. They all play card games or board games, or they may not be heavily into all of the games. But I I, I don't know, I I count myself lucky to to think, I, I can't even picture the concept of I'm giving up gaming Completely, I'm out, I'm well, not listening to podcasts, I'm not reading blogs, I'm not, you know, even if it's to come back later.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, when we're talking about people who are quitting, that they're, they're not giving up all types of gaming, because I'm not even sure if that is actually physically possible.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they built up gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I know Anne's still gonna play video games, he's really looking forward to Assassin's Creed Unity and... Speaking of which, I... (laughs) I gave up video gaming. Okay. (laughs) Period. Why? I haven't played for nearly a year now. Why?
1: Now, was it a conscious choice or have you just not found yourself back in front of a console?
2: Uh, well, I still have my PS3, and I sold most of the games. I still have few left, like Assassin's Ooh. Creed ones. Yeah. Um, but uh, the thing is, um, my I normally when you start playing games, you sink a lot of time in it. Also, yeah. playing a ge- video games is kind of like addiction. You normally can't just quit these sort of things. My parents really happy about it, because they really hate me playing these games, because they think it's unhealthy. Hmm. <laughs> but, um, to be honest, what's stopping me is kind of miniature hobby pushed out video gaming for me. So that, that's what really happened.
3: Mm. Okay.
1: okay, So because I can I should, see okay, my, my miniature... Yeah? Yeah? yeah I'm listening. <laughs> I was gonna say, my, my miniature gaming and board gaming has pushed aside role playing. But a lot of that happened very naturally, which is my role playing group started to fall apart. I had moved, other people had moved, all of our schedules got crazy, so it just was a natural move over to other, other games. Yeah. Well, uh, I never but played... I certainly wouldn't say I gave up role-playing.
2: I can't say I gave up role-playing, but I've played very few role-playing. It sort of kind of fade out anyway. But right. I, I wasn't playing it much to begin with, but I bought a lot of books and just read them.
0: I love that for <laughs> source <laughs> material. It's nice to read the stories.
1: Uh, if it's well-written, I agree completely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, so there's your lead in. So, so we had topics.
2: <laughs> uh, sorry, before we move to the topics, there's a couple of things I want to say I got distracted. Um there's some, about quitting gaming, uh, or miniature yes. gaming, Um something I was once told by someone who works in my local games workshop, or was, well, my local games workshop is gone by the way, it's closed down, uh, but, and now I have to travel like a couple of hours to get to the nearest one but <laughs> I, <wouldn't
1: laughs> I, <say>. don't <laughs> I don't really normally job so just just as a note i'll, I'll save you that
2: <laughs> well the thing is i i hardly any look at anything games workshop recently I've, I've really my friend gary plays a lot of it he's just like got into well he was always getting space wolves but now with this new box came out he's just grabbed it and, you know, is buying a lot more. He bought the two flying bricks. Did anyone know what I'm talking about? Uh,
3: uh...
0: No.
2: You know the new flying space wolf vehicles? No. It's... Uh, I forgot yeah. what the they're called. only thing
1: I know about flying space wolf vehicles is they have Santa and a sleigh now.
0: I've seen that
2: one. Yeah, well, the one which came out before that. There's a flying... There's a flyer which is quite square. Okay. okay. I can't remember what it's called. It but
0: like, does it look like a Thunderhawk or something? N- it's not
2: Thunderhawk. No,
0: it's very They're different. They're square, aren't they?
2: Because well, it's more square than Thunderhawk. They've actually been called here in UK flying bricks. Okay. <laughs> it's Storm Raven, I think it's called. No, I think. Anyway, whatever. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> carry on. Yeah. So he got two of them. He he's got the the Santa in the lid.
0: God, oh, so he actually bought that.
2: Yeah, and uh he bought several lots of Thunderwolves and lots of other things besides the actual the main box where the fourth edition well was seventh? Sixth I, seven six? I
0: never got the appeal of the um, of uh well um Space Wolves. I never got that appeal. But then like I say it's you know horse of courses, isn't it?
2: Well, I was always more... When I was into Games Workshop, I was always more into fantasy when I was into 40k, and... More about that, that later. Matter. More about that later. <laughs> and, um... Oh, so once this uh, Games Workshop staff guy told me that, um, At one point, he stopped the hobby. Okay. Um, and he called it Titty Syndrome...
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: He
2: got a girlfriend basically.
0: Yeah, so and he well, thought that, he wa- wanted to that was
2: more interesting one miniature gaming, yes. Um but then he later he realized he
0: could have both. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's the I, thing.
1: there's no reason not to have both.
0: I've I don't I don't think that's the case with Ant though. <laughs> I've heard in a lot of people's cases saying about how people quit because of women, and I do not like, whenever I hear that, I do not like it. The
2: thing is, but when he was talking to me about this, I didn't actually quit miniature gaming, I only quit games workshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I wasn't a confrontation at the time, and, and War Machines, yeah, War Machine, yeah. Mm. This was before Hordes, but yeah. Uh.
0: Yeah, I've always, I've, I've always disliked the stereotype that if you're into miniature gaming, you can't get laid. I've always really hated that stereotype. Mm. But yeah. <laughs>
1: that's yeah, about I understood it, so.
0: That, that, that kind of describes me
2: very well. <laughs> anyway. Okay, I said too much now, alright. <laughs>
1: If you're not getting laid before the gaming, then the fact that you don't get laid after the gaming has nothing to do with the gaming.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, my lifestyle is
0: a bit unsocial. I'm, I'm sit p- at home kind of guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're, you're right now. You're if anyone is listening to this, and that's a big if. If <laughs> anyone is listening to this, they can probably relate very well because after talking to quite a few people on the in this you know wargaming scene and stuff it does seem antisocial you know it's actually quite a common thing not universal but quite common unfortunately mm. hmm right okay shall
2: we start with the topics I've forgotten what they were now <laughs> but yes well it's... Richie I'm drunk but I still can remember <laughs> Yes, because you were going to talk about portrayal of women in miniature gaming, yes, and I so kind of decided
1: topic. <laughs> to
2: broaden it with portrayal of mental illness
0: and disability and other mm-hmm. obscure, well, risky, okay, risky things. Let's, let's and start with topic number one, then. Okay. So, um let's open it to the floor, I suppose, what, um, let's, oh, okay, I'll say, I'll say with my opinions to begin with, so, um, there are lots of women, obviously, being portrayed in games, uh, some could argue not as much as there should be, but that's a different not altogether, but anyway, um, and you've got many different games that show in different ways, um, for example, you've got, off the top of my head, some of the more, I'm not sure of risque is the word, but a bit more cheesecakey would be things like um, relic knights, for example, where they're anime-style, skin-tight in some cases, show an awful lot of skin, bending over big machines, very phallic images. Especially when you look at certain ones, like the giant mech thing for the Black Diamond people. There's something very phallic about <laughs> One anonymous. shot? Is, what was it? One yes, shot? I think it might be yes. But I actually, I really time, like I'm, that I, miniature Richie, but, this, but, is but, but point, this is this is the point because I, for me, um, because what I was saying is that. So while it is definitely very a sexualized image, it is done so in the start. I'm, I'm jumping. Sorry, Richard, but I'm I'm disagree with you here because uh, she looks very feminist to me. Feminist? I w- I would yes, say feminist. She, she that model is the she's ex- got ex- that me. big
2: mac and she doesn't needs men. That's yeah, but also but- sexualizing uh, okay, so, machines. So, <laughs> sorry, 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 <laughs> sexualizing machines. It's very much a male kind of behavior, so she's a feminist.
1: So if this is where we're going, should should we caveat at the beginning that we are three men who are about (laughs) to have this discussion, which means very little of what we say may actually hold water?
0: In all fairness, I think, considering if if you're talking to people like my wife, what we say holds little water regardless. Exactly. (laughs) It It doesn't matter what the subject matter is.
2: But hang on, didn't Sarah like tentacle bento?
0: Yes, she does like Tentacle Vento. I love Tentacle Tendulkar. It's a it's really a silly good game. game. I sorry, I didn't particularly find it
2: sexual. Sorry. But
1: well, that's. The and nice it's it's funny, Richie, because you and I. I think this is one of the reasons I, I think we get along well. There's there's a there's a number of issues we're very similar on, yeah. and then every once in wow, a while, one of these little I'm things sure pops up out. Mm. that that um. You know, Tentacle Bono is a good one, where I just have no interest in the game, there's, there's things in the game, a the lot game of the art and whatnot. not. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, but the, the, you know, the, the tentacle porn schoolgirl, you know, that's okay, o- over the you line. Okay, let something about
2: tentacle porn. Do you uh, know oh, why they actually, Japanese are so much into it? The, the I don't. One. It's to avoid the censor. Okay. (laughs) Because, you see, um, in Japan, you know, you're not allowed to show erection at all, so the tentacle actually avoids the censor. Of course they have the culture of woodlot prints like the Dream. But I'm not
1: sure uh, if that makes it better.
2: It doesn't. (laughs) Oh, but you see, the Japanese censorship system is, um, uh, how should I put it? It's like um, there's this list of things which are not allowed and everything else is, so it's okay to show women being brutally raped. But any kind, any sign of public hair is a no-no. Yeah.
1: But anyway, <laughs> <you
2: avoid censor.
0: laughs> Anyway. But yes, but I think um, yeah, I I agree with you, Bill. Um, and I think having a bit of um, difference opinion now and then is what makes for good discussion. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um.
1: So so, Relic Knights is a great example. It's, it's funny because this is a we'll similar talk about Relic
2: Knight's little bit.
1: Well, but talking about the the depiction of women, and this was a discussion I got into at Gen Con, which I'm so sad that my friends at the Beer Thralls would not send me the recorded audio, (sighs) because the other guy that's on the audio is is too scared for it to go public, and it's such a fantastic conversation. Um, So, so one of the things that came up at Adepticon, which started this conversation I got sucked into, was and this started sort of off of the the depiction and sexualization of women in games. Yeah. And it was, are there enough strong women in miniature games? So I, of course, pointed out all of the female casters that are in War Machine, because mm-hmm. he's a War Machine player. I pointed out all the female masters that are in Malifaux uh, and who are generally depicted as strong women. Yeah. Um, hmm. So taking that to the next step, and, and this is... This is what caught my attention, I, and it's part of why I love this topic. Um, talking about Relic Nights. Now, I've been on record as saying I'm not a fan of the art style mm-hmm. and the look of many of the female models in Relic Nights.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had actually mentioned to my wife that we were going to be having this conversation on the podcast. Okay. And she asked me, she's like, well, which stance, you know, where are you going with this? What do you, what do you think you're going to say? I said, well, here's the thing. I am all for my, and this is, take, take this how you will, call me a pervert, call me a gamer, call me just a good red-blooded male, I am all for my women wearing schoolgirl outfits. I don't want to see half-dressed schoolgirls. Got yeah. And, and there's a difference between... Sorry, I
2: didn't get you, Bill.
1: Oh, what I was saying is, I am all for my women dressing sexily in a schoolgirl outfit.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't want to see school girls.
3: Ah, okay.
1: Once you cross that line into either models or art that is clearly young, teenage and younger, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm no longer at all interested in it.
3: Yeah, The thing
1: it is, when you get anime, I- it to give them more mature attributes on a much younger woman, or younger girl in this case.
0: Yeah, I understand that. Uh.
1: And I think that's where Relic Knights has gone. I look at a lot of these models of Relic Knights and they look like schoolgirls, the Noviates and Doctrine. Actually, funny enough, my problem is not at like Calico Kate and my wife made the comment. I have, um on my Twitter feed, I have, uh, I use Calico Kate, which is the female pirate leader yes. for Relic Knights. Her art was a lot of, it's a lot of fun. I laugh at it even more now because, and I have her art up on my Twitter. Um, as the background. My wife looked at it, she went, wow, she has perfectly round cantaloupe boobs. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, I, and I sort of laughed at that. It's just, it's absurd art. Yes. But she is, she is, she looks young, she has some girlish features, but she's, she, she seems to look like a woman. Yes. Not even at the endowment, Andre. It's the drawing, she seems older as if she's a woman.
2: How do uh, you know that? I mean, anime style, it's fairly cartoony, fairly stylized, how would you know that? Unless you read the fluff and it says she's specifically a young girl or a young woman or something like that. Yeah, I only read a little bit of
1: the fluff, but when I look at, I, I don't know, I, there's, there's, there's parts of the face that are drawn, there's, there's the way she's standing, there's, uh, you know, just overall the style of her hair and whatnot strikes me as older than say the Noviat's who are drawn as teenage schoolgirls. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree completely.
1: Um, the the model you're talking about, out of the Black Diamond? Yes. Uh, she, I mean, she has two poses. Now, I love the fact she has two poses, and they mm-hmm. took the first pin-up. I mean, she's in this 1950s pin-up pose.
0: That's that's the point I was going to get at. She is, it's the exact same type of thing you'd have plastered on the side of a Spitfire or something.
1: Wait! <laughs> Now I don't know if you know, they, there were people complaining about that pose, so Persona Pop put out a second pose.
0: I assume that's why they
2: did this. <laughs> so which one do you actually get to the box?
1: You get them both if you kickstarted it.
2: What about if you just get in the retail version?
1: I'm not sure. I haven't seen a retail version copy of it. Mm. Uh, and, and to me, so I've seen a very, I won't say tasteful, but I have seen the second pose, which is, uh, I almost want to call it the penthouse pose.
3: Mm, yeah, okay,
1: or the playboy pose. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. you know, I've seen one pose of that which was set into the model in such a way that it wasn't that bad. <laughs> um, if you set her, if you set her splayed legs inside the canopy, it doesn't look that bad. If you set it the way the model sits naturally, her legs are outside the canopy, and it's. And I don't know for a fact they did this, but it's almost like Soda Pop said, okay, if you're going to complain about our pin-up model, <laughs> let us make sure you think that's better than what we're going to give you as an alternative.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually have to kind of respect in a way. I mean, um, do you guys, are you familiar with um, the band Alien Ant Farm and the the cover they did of, um, ah, that's Michael Jackson's song? No. They did a cover of a Michael Jackson song, and, and this is a number of years ago, and basically... Um, is la- it The Smooth Criminal? Yes, that's the one, that's the one. Oh, God. And the they did a, the music video, which of course is on, you know, normal music television all of that, mm-hmm. and... Basically, um, they took it to the um, management of Michael Jackson and they said, this is offensive, this is horrible, you're taking the piss of this legend. They actually liked it, didn't they? Uh, I don't th- But the point is, they said, so you have to take it away, you do another one. So they did the same thing. And they did one that was literally ripping the shit into the guy. <laughs> And it was it was in terrible taste, mocking the fact that his, you know, the, the court um trials he was sent up against, the fact that he did that interview where he said he was Peter Pan, all of this, all of this stuff, just completely ripped into, and presented that, and they said, "Take your pick." Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can tell which one they went with. So, and I think yeah, I think you're probably right. It's probably the same thing here. And if so, yeah, I can respect that because I think you know we're talking. Like, like like we discussed before, we're talking about art, and the and the creator has a vision that they want to put out there. And if you don't like it, don't buy it.
1: Okay. I, and I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> it makes me sad in some cases. Well, I, I shouldn't say overly sad. I would prefer, you know, Relic Knights, I would prefer <laughs> the models they provided me to support the company. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have already decided that I'm going with proxies, and I'm working now. Strangely enough, because of the deal I got, I bought in for a bunch of models I will likely never play with. And I'll be proxying out for other things.
2: Yeah. Well, to be honest, <laughs> I don't... I'm not that much into the uh Relic Knights range. The game really interested me, to be honest, after your uh review, mm-hmm. Bill. Um. It seems like it put a lot of uh, established ID uh, uh, miniature gaming things on its head. Really?
1: Okay, that's a, that's a different thing. So I hear a lot of people compare it to Malifaux. And, and, no, uh, no, no, no comp- yeah. comparison. And I've heard people try to compare the objective system with Malifaux, and and I keep looking going. They were developed nearly around the same time, mm-hmm. you know, only a little bit after. So it's just taken so long for Relic Knights to get shipped that yeah. it's. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, in the same topic of, the, of depiction of women or sex and sexualization specifically, depi- you know, sexualized depiction of women. Malifaux is a great. Area the, the weird seems, in my opinion, seems to have made a distinct attempt across the line. Now I can't go individually because some models have been sexed up a bit, but across the line, it seems to me they've gone to great lengths to pull sexualization out of their models or sexual depiction of the women specifically. And, and I gotta say, personally, I never felt it was in poor, It was done in poor taste originally. And Be honest, I, didn't I actually notice. dislike a lot of the new models. That uh, like the new art direction that pulled out.
0: Mm.
2: Well, that's where we are total disagreement. Yeah, I actually really like the new art direction of okay. miniatures, but um,
0: that's fine. That's good for you. Yeah. Hey, if I if I can just jump in, I think for me, my, and it, again, it all comes down to you know a person's view on these things. Now, for me, it comes down to uh, something being suitable within its setting, if that makes sense. Hmm. So, I would argue that I do think things like Relic Knights, for example, is very sexualised. But they are supposed uh-huh. to be. And that's... Well, okay it's an anime style. Because they are really. supposed to be, therefore, I think it's perfectly fine. I welcome it. I say, bring on more. Because that's, okay. what, that's what it's supposed to be. If in a game where they're not supposed to be or more importantly, they're not supposed to be for no particular reason, I don't want them to be. And I think then that's mostly the case with at least... Um, okay, the version 1 where the Relic
2: Knights are concerned, you know, the my favourite faction at the moment is the Speed Circuit. Yeah. uh I don't know why, it's just... Well, art style-wise or direction-wise, that's kind of my favorite miniatures. Not because they're scantily clad, or anything like that. My favorite miniature is the oh, actual yes. Quest and Knight, which is a robot, but mm-hmm. um... I don't know. I mean, uh, the speed circuit's supposed to be very cheesecake, isn't it?
1: Well, the whole game is pretty, supposed to be pretty yeah. cheesecake, but I guess my question bigger would be, how do you go about Trying to tell what the intention is. Mm. Do you look at a whole line and see an art direction of the line? Do you simply say, you know, relic knights? Because we're picking on that so much. Relic knights is anime, and anime is supposed to be
0: you well, know, I like a lot of sexualized anime. That's depictions. Thing, but, um. um. For me, like how do
1: you determine that personally?
0: Yeah, for me it's it's a combination of factors. I think it's not one one individual thing. It's looking at the line, it's looking at the style of the game, but also it's looking at how the models are done. So mm. like in the case of Relic Knights, for example, I said most of the poses are done as pin up poses. Mm. Most of them aren't done as sexualized or abusive poses. Okay Well, I like and the jet bikes. Whereas, the jet bikes are well oh, they're, they're very um they're ve- um that's a they very um pin up again with bent over and all of that sort of stuff, it's very pin opposing. Um and it was I mean I commented this on my blog before about the um version two's Ronin models from Malifo and I felt that they were inappropriately sexualized. Largely because of the clothes that we're wearing, the shortness of the skirts, and these sort of things, and it was because of the fact that for me it stood out, and it w- it, it didn't look like if, it didn't look like they really merged with the Malifaux range, if if you will.
1: Well, okay. the the new except Vicks, that they're based off Sucker Punch.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, really. that, and that yeah. and in fact I had a bit of an issue with the film to be honest I had yeah. an issue with the film as well I, I, I plus
2: it's many, boring as hell it's not because <laughs> it's boring I find it very depressing to be honest
0: plus it rips off Brazil <laughs> but, uh, it rips off Brazil big time I've never actually seen it I've been meaning to because I think you mentioned it before and I've been meaning to but yes. anyway um, but yeah so for me that's the thing so because they stood out and it wasn't you know for me you've got the almost rest of the of models that are very unsexualized. Suddenly you've got these three here with these tiny little skirts and these, you know, far too, you know, clothing that it looked like if they got into a combat, it would just be torn really easily. Like, I'm sure one's wearing a strappy top or something. It's an impractical for the world setting that you've got with everyone else there. Well, and it's, it's like, like it- in
2: D&D, you've got chainmail bikinis which are completely pointless. <laughs>
0: well, yes and no, yes. The thing is, I like cheesecakes,
2: yes. and I like, uh, you know, sort of sexualization in miniatures or gaming or whatever, mm-hmm. but sometimes they just do it in really pointless way. Yes. For example, chain bikinis, I don't find them sexual, that's the thing.
0: <laughs> well, um, like I'm, I'm, I was doing some research into this the other day, and you've got the, um, is it Mercer models, whatever they're called, who um, did that, is it? Darklands or something? Um, Anyway, and they did an entire range of models for a war game, and one faction of them is these warrior women, who for some reason are completely naked except for belts. Okay. And Is that the miniature you showed us pictures of, Richie? It could have been.
2: They sent me a picture
0: of, like, really
2: badly made miniatures where... But
0: that's the thing. It's it, it's it's also the fact that it is just a terribly done set of it models. It is. It is. R- it's a bad sculpt as well, to exactly. be honest. Exactly. I would try and find it, but, you know, I can't be bothered right now. <laughs> but, yeah, it, and that's the thing. So it's it's a case of where it's the whole point of it, it's not done artistically pleasing. It's just like a guy going... Mm, Boobs! And, you know... <laughs> When I was 12, I could do that. So, well, it's like page three of the sun, isn't it? It's Richard? worse because it doesn't even look realistic. It's okay, just-
2: for the basically listeners who don't know what the sun is, it's a British newspaper. It's, and, and on a page three, there's always a topless woman, in there, and then it, it just it's it's badly photographed, and
0: you know. The, and they always have they always have the woman. Apparently, always it gives her thought of the day, which is always but to with politics and it's far too deep for someone who clearly doesn't actually have much of a brain to be talking about.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, uh, the British uh, Sun newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> always good friends It's just friends. a normal newspaper
2: with politics and everything, but page three is a uh, topless woman. Yeah, always. every single time.
3: Yeah. Right. So what do
1: you think about things like, uh, what is it, Toughest Babes of the Galaxy? or?
3: Oh, just...
2: I actually really like that range. The strongest babe You the know, toughest babes of... A- yeah, you know, um,
3: Raging Gear.
2: Yeah, Raging Gear. I was going to mention them, but you beat me to it, Bill. <laughs> That's a very interesting range, you know. Too bad they don't have a game yet. Oh,
0: well, yeah. I, mean, I I don't really know. I mean... The toughest girl in the a- girls in the galaxy. Yeah, that's what it's- I, know, I know. I'm aware. Of, I'm aware of the um, think the Kickstarter they did, and part of the problem I've got with it is it doesn't seem to really go anywhere. It's like, okay, so you can replace your champion with one who's female. And it's, so, okay. It's no, 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 no. Okay. Richie.
2: originally, Raging Heroes did a lot of fantasy miniatures, yeah. which kind of did like, which were supposed to be used as Games Workshop proxies this the toughest girls in a galaxy range is supposed to be become a game at some point, is it
0: they just not enough, yeah not they
2: haven't like done it. it yet, they haven't done it yet, but they did a huge range of miniatures of uh, basically like several factions, and they're not sexualized at all. That's the thing, but uh, I don't know, they're just very nice miniatures, I
1: guess. <sighs> Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you think? so I mean, there, there was those. I, so I haven't looked at a lot of the miniatures. I, a couple I've seen, I liked, but they, they were World War Two ish and I'm not really a historical person. Yeah.
2: What, you're going for um, the, the German-like faction?
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I, was, I and again, I don't know what the factions are, I just, I've seen a couple of pictures of a couple of models.
2: I forgot what they're called, so, but the thing is, they look kind of evil, but they're not actually evil. It's just they kind of find alien artifact and it's sort of like sort of semi Egyptian sort of uh undead type thing, but they're not they're <laughs> not actually evil, yeah.
0: Um just so in case anyone me- in case we mention it, I'm just gonna post a quick picture up to you to you guys who so Bill can see the picture we were talking about earlier of the horrible sculpt. I may put the link in the show notes just for you to watch <laughs> because it's horrible. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Also speaking on the subject. Yes. Um, I've just recently been really into Through the Breach podcast. Okay. Uh, and they've been talking a lot about, um, well, just basically Gen Con releases, really. And, um, they were talking about, uh, the new Miss model. Yeah. Which is Missery.
0: Yes. Which really
2: is a me. teddy. Female teddy.
0: Is it a female teddy? It doesn't look very female yes. to me.
2: Well, but the thing is, female teddy is not supposed to have boobs. <laughs> because, okay, uh, I'm into, like, brick and brack and sort of antique things, and, you know, the, the teddies, I look, a, I'm watch a lot of, like, um, antique shows, which would an in what UK. What about yeah. that teddy is female? Well, the thing is, the teddies, they don't really look female. Female, well... Girl teddies, they normally it's about colour, it's about clothes, it's about facial expressions. But they never actually had any female features
0: to it. Right. So what about what about the new teddy is female?
1: Well it could what, costs, what makes remember? it a miss.
0: Yeah. Why is it a miss?
2: Well that's what that's what they said in Through the Bridge, because they say it's not exactly a miss model. It's a brilliant model and actually uh say that Weird did a really good job on actually doing, like, a female creature which doesn't have boobs, which
0: is not... which supposed to be female, but not exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> that could be male, female... I mean, the point is, it's yeah. a toy. It's I'm, I'm actually a toy, toy exactly.
1: They yeah, a sort of I, I'm, like- I gotta say, I'm, I'm incre- I was incredibly disappointed to find out that was the Miss model. Mm. I I last year I, th- I at last year their model to me at least looked like a miss model in yeah. the line, but I still and I didn't like the way it looked. I have I've seen it live now finally and I still don't like the way it looks. So I thought it was appropriately named as misstep, but that's my preference on how it looks. It still fit the line of miss models. Yeah. I I think this has gone completely off the reservation. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it just doesn't fit the aesthetic. Release it as a, release it as a special edition Teddy, release it as something else, but to make it a Miss model, that just seems silly. You've sort of given up your, the Miss models up until now going all the way back to the original Gremlinette, which was not actually labeled a Miss, have all been some sort of uh, pin-uppy-esque, fe- clearly female models, that have been on a special edition with their line of names that they release a Gen Con.
0: Exactly. A little bit
1: of TNA. Yeah. This is completely not.
0: Mm.
2: Well, on Through the Breach, everyone loved the model, but they don't think it was a good idea well, it wasn't exactly yeah, a yeah, Miss model, that's it's, the it's thing.
1: Through the Breach loves everything weird's doing right now. So I mean, it's not a miss
2: model. It's not a miss model. It's more like a um, Nightmare Edition model because it's really creepy Teddy. Yeah. It's more like nightmare model than a miss model. Okay. That's what they said. But and they said the miniature's great, but it's not exactly a miss model, is it? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean I don't know. I I, I don't think it's a miss model. I don't see why something that in my opinion shouldn't have a gender. You may refer to it as a he or a she, but you know it, it's that's just down to personal Preference. So, right. you know? I mean, my daughter has toys that are, you know, completely neutral colours and this sort of stuff, and she will refer to it as a he or a she, depending on what she wants to. You know, you give the yeah. same toy to another kid, they will refer to it as the eyes a completely different one because it's just what they choose to infer. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, that's not. It's not female. It's not a miss. It's neutral.
2: Yes, but uh, because it's a toy. But the thing is, it, it's to do with um, uh, tradition because you, there was never. There were never boobs on toy bears. Yeah, but uh, i if
0: you paint it pink, it becomes female. Fine. Mm-hmm. But you take any of the other previous um teddies, paint them pink, they become female by default. Mm-hmm. If you're using that rationale. I mean, well, I painted. Okay, let I, me um, tell you they... something, Richie.
2: Yeah. I actually won a competition with the. Uh, uh, burning off burnt offerings uh, and uh, I actually got a $50 uh, credit in weird store and, congratulations and I- for that! congratulations absolutely I- and I ordered myself a whiskey golem mhm uh, I I kind of like the misery I I I actually had a plan for her but um, I was kind of worried I was going to hit with the customs and all but then I read some information about it and I said that um it's actually very random. It doesn't matter how much yeah. the actual package cost, and I'm kind of kicking myself not ordering a little bit more so <laughs> I could actually get the Miss model. Because I had plans for her. Okay. I was going to pla- paint her as a goth chick. Very pale. All the patches, you know, the, which were sewn on, they were going to be like sort of g- patterns, very black and white kind okay. of thing. And to make it look female... I
0: was gonna add um, running eyeshadow. Okay, so you're gonna basically do it like a teddy scare. Sorry, what? Uh, have you heard of teddy scares? No. Um, they're, teddy they scares? Sen- they're essentially that. They're goth themed teddy bears.
2: Well, I was gonna do a goth themed fe- teddy bear with a running eyeshadow. You know what running eyeshadow yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Basically, when you know, if, uh, if uh, basically eyeshadow, if someone with an eyeshadow starts crying, you know, it will run. Yeah. That would kind of make it female, wouldn't it?
0: Um, to an extent. I don't think so. I mean, the thing is, I mean, eyeshadow is worn by male goths as well. Uh, well, I guess
2: I don't know much about goths.
0: <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I mean, I but even that, was... I mean, you're going to paint it, and even even if it looks like eyeshadow, you're already going it, not seeing how you've painted it or wanted to paint it. You're already going with some neutral colors. It could just look like smudged, smudged ink, smudged paint, uh, anything along those lines. Mm. Put it, put it in a dress if you want it to look female.
2: Well, on Through the Bridge, they were talking about sculpting, uh, panties for her. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, they were also okay, talking about, you know, they were commenting about that it's, it's a female creature who's not actually has boobs and they really praised <laughs> weird for that. And, but then they were talking about like, they were, <sighs> the thing is, it's not exactly female. No. If it's a toy, isn't no. it? Because even if you have a female-looking robot with boobs, that doesn't make it female, isn't it? It's just supposed to look kind of female, but it's a sexual, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean... Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like it being done as a mess, because I don't think it's mm. a mess at all. Um, well, they said it's a... Well, it is a mess. model.
1: It's just not a, a miss <laughs> No, mark.
0: it's a nightmare model. <laughs> I mean,
1: clearly they missed the mark.
0: Yeah. Mm. But in my opinion, that's been the case with most of their stuff ever since... Well, you know. it's a nightmare model, and that's what they said in Through the Bridge. It's a
2: nightmare model. But then it sort of hit me. What if if the actual misery is a nightmare model? Then that makes uh, Whiskey Golem miss model. Mm. Because, look, she's leaking it. Between her legs, because you know that gremlin drilled a the hole uh-huh. there, you know? yes. and so, there's no, oh there's no wiener, there's no wiener, so it's definitely a girl.
1: This, this, this may be going off. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. I got more, I got more. Okay, <laughs> oh I, I drank specially for this, just so I can say this. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I will
1: say this. I, I, so t- you, you've talked about both, both of these models, in, in a couple of the weird releases. I. I will be I will come out happily and say the whiskey golem I thought a looked girl. brilliant. I mean, girl or not. I thought it looked brilliant. And I was I ordered one. I I. well, I did too. So I actually <laughs> you know, I've I've actually bought some weird stuff. It's it's <laughs> been a while. Um I did order a whiskey golem. I was looking at it. Now, funny enough, the little redemption that'll make me my, my soul feel a little bit better. As, it's a beautiful model. And as I'm looking at it, I actually shown it to my wife and I made the comment, you know, a really I'm a sad.
2: It's a later. And
1: I'm, <laughs> <points>. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit sad that I don't have a good game that I could use this in. Mm. My wife turned around, she went, well, won't they go with your beer drinking guys? Now, it occurred to me, which is what I bought it for now, I bought into Guild Ball and I bought in with the Brewers. Uh-huh. So the, the whiskey column is going to make a brilliant goal for my boars.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was actually inter- interested in this game. I didn't back it, but um, it's something what interested me. Because okay. So,
1: oh, oh, so, so uh, Matt Lotz, who's one of the weird henchmen up in New England over here in the states. Matt Lots had convinced me to get into Guild Ball, and then John and I went in very heavy okay. on the Kickstarter. John and I had sworn off playtesting anything. So we haven't, even all those games that we've kickstarted that, that have released rules, we've not taken playtest rules and played them. We're waiting for games to come out. Even with Relic Knights, we didn't, he did a little playtesting, but we didn't do any playtesting recently. Yep. We were waiting for the final rules to get released. On my recent trip to New Hampshire, Matt convinced me to play a game with the field test rules, the preseason rules, which are the play test rules for Guild Ball. And? The game is a disturbingly silly amount of fun. Oh. Mm. It is. I, I cannot applaud what they've done more. And simply put, six models on the table on each side there was enough complexity and combinations to play that even with zero terrain, a completely mm-hmm. flat 3x3 three three board, Matt and I still ended up in situations where we stepped back from the board and went, oh, crap, what do I do next? Okay, hold on, let me think about this. Okay. And actually had to look at the board for a minute or two before we could get back in to keep playing.
3: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: And that speaks volumes to yeah. me. That it's all just straight positioning, and it's positioning without terrain, mm. which means terrain's just going to make it that much better. Mm.
0: I and mean, for me, I didn't get into Gilball. I, I, it's I, a modern I,
2: sports I, game, I, and there's no actual board. You have table, and you have terrain. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I mm. think so, for me, it was. I, th- I think I'm the only person <laughs> in like the entire of my Twitter group who didn't get into it in some way. And well, I'm the other. Okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and for me, it's mainly, it actually, is, um, I just didn't, wasn't really a fan of the art style, to be honest. Hmm,
1: uh-huh. they they're scops. right. Pardon? Have you looked at the sculpts since then? Yes,
0: and I actually li- like them less than the art.
1: Oh, oh. Well,
0: Richard doesn't like digital sculpts, uh, that's the thing. It, it's, I don't like something that looks digital, and it looks digital to me. And, I don't know, there's just, it's just, there's, I, I, I know the, you know, I, um, I'm aware of what the style of the art is. I can't remember what it is, but it, there's a name for it. And it's I've seen it in lots of video games and this sort of stuff. And it's just, I'm not a fan of that style. It's just, that's all it is. But if the rules are good, then I'm definitely going to look into it f- with proxies.
1: You know, the basic rules were simple. Mm. Which I like, and I say that looking at some of the gameplay videos for another Kickstarter, Infamy.
3: Yeah.
1: Infamy rules looked it really concern me. I love the I loved the models for Infamy. Mm-hmm. The rules of the game, if they stay the way they are, really concern me because the core rules, the basic rules, seem overly complex to me.
3: Yeah.
1: This is me saying that, which...
2: <laughs> which you know, is odd, because you criticise the new Malifu because it's kind of simplified, <laughs> isn't, I, isn't it?
1: Don't get me wrong, I like complexity, so for me to say a, game, a game's core rules look overly complex, that's, that is that mm. is
2: not... A, <laughs> oh, Phil, I need to tell you this. It's gone slightly <laughs> a bit more complex in Wave 2 when it was in Wave 1. What is? Just so, the rules.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're from Malifu, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think that ship is sailed.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really has. I actually started to put the first my I'm I'm slowly easing into putting my first sets of painted Malifaux stuff out on Bartertown. Wow. I'm I'm still playing 1.5 here here and there when I can get games, but we're so overwhelmed with games and other mm. good games. We're finally seeing like the one. batches of really good games come out. Yeah. Oh, um Relic Knights is is fantastic, Wild and it's really has really stolen the scene locally here. And then we're all waiting very patiently. Wild like, West Exodus? No, uh, no, 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 no. What? Like Wild West Exodus is fun, but it is certainly not going to be a core game in my okay. local group. It's it's fun, and that's uh, but it has a whole host of issues. It's it's not quite there. And oh,
2: s- sorry. Speaking of Relic Knights, in UK, um, Wayland Games is going to be stalking it.
3: Yes.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I know. I've I've heard that several of the UK people still haven't got their Relic Knight stuff. Yeah,
3: I've heard that too.
1: So, um, but Wrath of Kings, which is an army scale game, which it was was a lot of fun to play at Adepticon, and we're all waiting locally, for that to come out. Who's that by? Again? Well, um, it's Cool or not who's putting it out? It's it was some of the old Confrontation people oh. who were involved in doing well, the miniature the concept the-
2: artist. Of the main concept artist of Confrontation, Edouard Guiton, is one of my favorite concept artists. I absolutely love his art, and I was very much into Confrontation. I this game kind of interests me, but it, it's kind. What stops me is it's not a skirmish level game.
1: No, it's an army scale game.
2: That's that. that. Mm.
1: And it's and I would say it's it's from a size uh, you know number of models on the table it's it's on the I think it's on the upper end of a a typical war machine game with less of the big giant you know no colossals and whatnot but it does play like an army scale game Okay. so
2: okay well we're still on the subject of portrayal of women in gaming
0: (laughs) okay (laughs) about I'm not sure (laughs) we're anywhere near that anymore
2: (laughs) about about the whiskey golem it's definitely this year's miss model because okay. it even has boobs, <laughs> um yeah, yes, look, okay, hold on, on I her tell shoulders. you is,
0: they're not boobs. <laughs> So okay, the You genius. mentioned okay, it interrupt me. If you think they're on the boobs, I think we got bigger problems to. We <laughs> have okay, asked. the
2: model, the model, it's bent over backwards because it's, because its joints can uh, spin 160, <laughs> oh de- well, 360 <laughs> degrees because it's a it's no, a mechanical must, model. Selling me it's, it. it's, it's head and stern, <laughs> <So> but it's <laughs> actually bent over backwards. So the two barrels at the top are, are its boobs. Yeah, I think that's that. I think
1: that's reaching.
2: Yeah, yeah, and also you know, like I already said, you know, she's leaking between her yeah, legs, yeah, yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. there's no wiener, so it's definitely a girl, and there's a gremlin actually looking up with his mouth open, so it's a sicko porn miss model. Oh. I ordered one.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <sighs> okay, I think it, I think it's time for Drunk Andre to go in his box. We can, oh. we have had enough of that. Enough of that now. Moving
1: on. Isn't that other topic? Andre's love of uh, digitally <laughs> sculpted models. Okay, you want to move on now?
0: Yes, I, th- I think I think we've done this subject to death now. Because well, I, mean, I think it's going to be a really short subject <laughs> because, because it, I didn't really get ready. But just yeah. to just to bring it to okay, a close. Um, well, just just to bring this to a close, I think we've come to the conclusion that different people, different tastes. Some people like certain things, some people don't. Some people are offended, also, some people are not.
2: Yeah, no, you you were, like, really offended by certain things, like uh Fuhatsu, for example.
0: Yes. Well, I personally wasn't that offended, but it's the fact that he is portrayed as this mentally disabled person who's being ab- technically abused for war, and I had an issue with that. But that's the thing. Um, but what about War Machine Cephalics? Sef- Sef- I'm,
2: I'm not sure if I'm... Comp-
0: it- idea what you're talking about.
2: Cephalix is a new faction well semi faction for oh, yes. war machines. What They're sort of them? this creepy like uh, f- uh, hulking like monsters with their uh, replaced limbs and things. Yeah, what's that got to do Well because the pretty much brain-dead, don't they? They're the vegetables who are controlled by these things, so, yes, but because Fuhatsu was like that already, just people, you know, using him, but what they actually, ex- if someone actually makes normal people, well, uh, makes normal people, people with special needs and then use them, then that makes it alright, or is it because um, it's War Machine is a, um, it's a big-scale game, you know, they're just faceless... You know, drones
0: because Fuhatsu
1: is a character. You know, um, wow, does that that's... make a difference? So I got to admit, I, I didn't look at the Fuhatsu miniature until just now when you mentioned it, and I'm looking at Andre's painted one. I, I, I guess I, I missed part of that conversation. I didn't realize you were um, offended by that, and I had never thought of him as, you know, mentally deficient, being used as a big gun until I, you just mentioned it, and I looked at it. So let me ask you this, because we talked about women. Yes. What is your stance on disabilities being used in miniatures games?
0: Um, I think it's going back to what we discussed beforehand when we mentioned about um, the new version of Sybil and how we felt it was a mean sculpt because it was poking Mm -hmm. fun at her. Same thing. Um, I think that if if a character is being shown as disabled in one way or another, and there are so many different types of, you know, um, forms of disabilities that you could show, then as long as it's not kind of poking fun, or that's not the main focus, I haven't got a problem with it. Okay. Um, So, you know, if if it's a person who is a dwarf, or you know, or whatever, no problem. You know, um, I haven't really got that much of an issue, I don't know why, but I haven't got much of an issue with Lenny, for example. Um, Because Uh, it's not, because it's not, Ah. it's not kind of poking fun at, oh, look, he's a, you know, an inbred stupid, you know. Right, right. I said it it was poking fun at exactly at that. He was supposed to have his trousers backwards. Yeah, but it's kind of in a different way. It's, I've no it just red hill Billy Gremlin. Yes, but it doesn't f- it doesn't feel mean. Well yeah, that's not it doesn't to me anyway. And that's and that's the whole point. I so think Lenny's more mean than Sybille to me, to be honest. That, so let me but this let me, me point. It's it all comes down to personal right. subjection.
1: So let me take you out of Weird and I just sent two links. Um anybody yes. can see these links on the infamy Kickstarter. So there's two different models here. Both of them are disabled. Yeah. Uncle John is a uh, it's uh, John Doolittle, right? It's uh, Mm -hmm. he is a he is depicted in the game and the story of him as a simpleton, Mm -hmm. so some level of mental retardation, but who is a savant with cybernetics and, and electronics and the monkeys and chimps in his menagerie actually keep him around and keep him happy thinking he's running just a circus mm-hmm. to keep them running. Yeah. And in you know, they have they have a model there um that people can go look at. The other model that they have is is called gunnery. Yeah. Which if you read some of what they've wrote about the backstory about this, is one of the Lost Boys in a wheelchair, who discovered this flying car and flies it around shooting people.
2: I love that
3: model. Okay.
1: So, I mean, what's your take on those two? I, I hear I hear Andrew okay. say he loves about it, but what's your take on the fact that they're involving, you know, uh, disabilities on okay. both of these? I've
2: not read the story about that flying vehicle, but about old Uncle John, he's actually doing like brain surgeries on the monkeys, didn't, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, kind of uh, right. But that's yeah. not re- that's not retarded, is it?
1: Well, but they've said he's a simpleton.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, so who cares what they said? I mean, that's not retarded. It's like Forrest Gump. You know, he he's like winning table tennis, uh,
0: you know, championships. That's not retarded. Okay. <laughs> um, we you have to you have to remember what I mean. One, the use of the word retarded is, of course, a very conscientious term. In scientific terms, it means slowed down. Um, Mm. For example, for epilepsy, did you know the medication they release is referred to as retard medication? Oh,
1: I I didn't didn't, know that. didn't know that, but it makes sense. Mm.
0: Because it slows down the brain and therefore reduces the electrical output. Um, I know someone who is epileptic, her medication... Is called that, so <laughs> that's how I knew it. and um, first of all I saw it, I was like, oh, is that the right name to call it? And they were like, yes it is. So, uh, so the point being is, you know, is this person gonna be a, gonna be a retarded and a slow thinker? No, because that's not what his thing is. I mean, I'm assuming he's looking at the model without reading the information, I'm assuming he's old, maybe um, possibly suffering from... Not yeah, they, the
1: word, they mentioned, before. they mentioned simility on one, I'm trying to find the other. Um, I'm sorry. So actually, this has been changed. I've heard it referred to as simpleton. They what they're saying now is
3: senile.
1: um, Yeah, senile old man with no real comprehension for the damage he is doing.
3: Yeah,
1: all he wants to do is keep his animal chums in a state of good repair. But this comes at the cost of many innocent lives.
0: Yeah, he's like the grandparent who refers to everyone uh, by the same by the name Billy. Right. Yeah. Um. I haven't got a problem with either of them personally. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the in the case of gunnery, it's a image of power. The guy appears to be empowered and strong. It does. You know what it looks to me like? Chitty chitty bang bang. <laughs> yeah, but it really does. <laughs> the wings. I was gonna paint it as chitty chitty bang bang. Yeah. Um, I mean, is the guy, what is it, um, what's the situation with him? I mean, I can see he's got leg braces. Has he polio or something, or...?
1: To tell you the truth, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I know that he, for whatever reason, was one of the Lost Boys who lost his legs, and, um, you know, the rest of the Lost Boys in this game, you have, uh, they're all jetpack.
2: Yes. Okay, sorry, guys, I'm gonna...
0: Pop out for a minute. Carry on without
1: me. I'll okay. be back in a second. It's okay. going to
0: get another prank. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, in the case of, in the case of Uncle John, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is is that it that to me it looks more like a tragic image. Okay. Because I'm looking at his face, at the expression going on, and the difference between that. Um, I know I've heard the um, interview on *Fools Daily* with mm-hmm. the creator, and he was talking about the importance of um, birds and this sort of stuff. And so you've got this one animal, this like—I don't know if it's mechanical or not—but like this parody thing that's sat on his shoulder. Look, almost like he's whispering to the guy's ear. And then you've got, you know, the stoic-looking monkey, while him, you know. I don't know, for me it looks, like it looks, it does, and that's the thing, it doesn't look like they're trying to mock the it's character. To fun. Exactly. Right. Instead it's just this quite sad scene, and it is abuse, technically. He is getting used and abused by these animals, but it's, it's, it's telling a sad story and a tragic story, not one that's, let's laugh at the old guy.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's interesting because I haven't looked at this aspect of it and before uh, I want to say before and was talking with um, when he was talking about liberal crime and including a couple of disabled people in there yes. it, honestly I never I sort of looked past all of that mm-hmm. um now like I said I hadn't really looked at the Fahatsu model so I'm not sure what else is out there even the Lenny model okay he's a big dumb hillbilly Um. Yeah, I grew up with plenty of big dumb hillbillies <laughs> so you know yeah, yeah. It, it kind of made me chuckle, and I moved on. I I didn't play Gremlins, No big deal.
0: Mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not aware of there being that many things to be honest. Out there. I think it's becoming more of a. I think it's definitely more of a modern thing, probably because. Maybe now, do you, you
1: think there should be?
0: Um, I think it goes back to. You know, whether something is poking fun or not. I think that, um I don't, I don't think that any model should, or any oh, art, or any- Sorry, model, I'm back! <laughs> We're talking about whether or not, um depictions of, uh, dis- disabilities and mental problems should, should they be in gaming and miniatures and art. And- Well, they're everywhere, aren't they? I think they are now. I'm saying they didn't used to be. Whether that's because uh, What do you mean by they're not used to be? What about mental in- illness?
2: Because I remember And was worried about using that in his game. And he sort of mentioned about He-Man, about him having split personality. Was it He-Man he mentioned?
0: He-Man? I don't think so. Uh,
2: something he mentioned, but it was like a cartoon character who's a very famous kid's cartoon and uh, something about split well, that, personality. I have
0: been Dick Tracy.
2: No... <laughs> I think, no, no, not Dick Tracy, I think it's he It's a kid's cartoon and because, you know, Adam and He-Man are different people. But I think that's a bad example. What you really should mention is Batman. Because He-Man it doesn't really deal with insanity, he just says, okay, this is uh, how it is, they're not calling it that, but that's what it is. But with, you know, Arkham Asylum, they actually say openly, it's ins- for criminally insane.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, so, and, Batman, till fairly recently, was a kid's comic.
0: Oh, no. Yes. There's the interpretation of that, but actually that is not the case at all. Original, (laughs) early, as in we're talking... No, not
2: very early, I'm not talking Um, Golden Age, but, you know, with Silver Age you have something called uh, the Comic Code of Conduct.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not familiar with that. Uh, okay, basically. I, know, I, I was, I was, you know, in the 80s, I was raised on comics with my father, and the ones he showed me, and I said I would have been, this would have been 80, between 85 and 90, let's say. And it was ones, you know, it was, it was the ones that basically the Dark Knight series came from. You know, Batman, he wasn't wearing a stupid suit, he was wearing body armor, and inside his gloves were knuckle dusters. You know, he didn't just arrest people and, and tie them from little things with batarangs, he beat the shit into them until they couldn't move, and then they normally died before the police turned up. He was not a nice person, he was a- Sorry, m- sure
2: that was 80s.
0: Yeah. He was oh. a brute, brutish, vicious bastard, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Comparing yeah, like this again Superman and that sort of you stuff. You had like, Golden Age. A- no, that sounds like Golden
2: Age to me. I don't know. Maybe he was showed, showing you all the comic. Possibly, but it was... And he showed all the comic, because before that, originally, most of the comic wasn't even superheroes. It was horror, and it was crime. Mm-hmm. But then a certain book came out called The Seduction of the Innocent, and uh, that kind of, at least in the United States, then you know public opinion very much against comics, so very strict regulations were created called the Comic Code of Conduct. Okay. So Hmm. it was very yeah. They uh, some people say it was a conspiracy to basically to get some company out of business. Because who was doing like uh Horror comics like Tales from the Crypt, and they actually say they can't even mention things like vampirism and woo- werewolfism, which is actually a wrong word. Word. There's no such thing as werewolf- werewolfism. It's lycanthropy. But yeah, lycanthropy. Um, like lycanthropy. Yeah. Okay. Lycanthropy. Like and um, you're not allowed to say words like crime in the title of the comic. So yeah, that was. A, mm. But then in a the modern age comic that kind of that was broken but by you know alan moore and uh what's the guy's name the guy who made dark knight returns i don't know frank miller that's it frank miller and alan moore broke the thing by creating modern age of comic which started kind of risky things back into the comic again but in the silver age it was very strict so what your dad must have showed you must have been golden age possibly
0: but all I remember is that it was, it was awesome stuff. <laughs> and it I mean, and then of course seeing things like they did the stupid cartoon and all that sort of stuff and it's like, <laughs> this isn't Batman. Fuck no. off, this isn't Batman, <laughs> this is rubbish. You know, I mean of course you're paying yeah. this off the fact that, you know, there's also sorts of other things, but yeah, you
2: know. Okay, okay, we're done with, the, you know, certain like disabilities and uh, mental illness. What about <laughs> skeletal dysplasia?
0: Sk- I don't even
1: know what that is.
2: That's a big word. Yes. It's actually... It sounds like something a bit obscure, but it's actually something very common in wargaming. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I do. I'm it's think- basically, it's to do with certain substance in the bones, flexible substance, which uh, if it doesn't get absorbed into the bone, uh, it the bones don't become long. We're talking about dwarves. Okay. I've got a no problem with dwarves. It was my first fanta- first Wargaming army. I When I started fantasy back in the days it was dwarves. Okay. Too bad they and tried to portray them as completely different species rather than humans. That's like, the
0: thing because, I mean, if th- they're not real dwarves. Real what dwarves are real don't dwarves? look like that. You know, real dwarves really? look like the characters from Willow because they were dwarves. Hmm. Because well, I
2: think the characters in Willow were played by humans.
3: Which <laughs> were, there were
2: dwarves, really. Yes, because they I were people. I think if with... there were
1: more dwarves around, we would have more mines, and we would have mithril.
3: Oh,
2: I uh, think uh, the whole idea about <laughs> them being, you know, axes. affinity for like mining things, that's all, uh, that's all a myth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that the, yes, the, Willow was acted by humans. But were humans I, with dwarfism. I still
1: have my Lord of the Rings, and we all know that Tolkien was British, so it must be true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's the other disorder, then there's, um,
3: the Tolkienism
2: growth, growth hormone deficiency. Growth and these hormone. people don't have big hairy feet. They have very little hair, bodily hair, and they have little feet.
1: That's not true. <laughs> okay. I'm not talking about hobbits. I'm talking about dwarves. Everybody knows dwarves dug too deep and let the balrog lose. There were halflings
2: there were and the hobbit. The hobbit is halfling. Yes.
0: It's <laughs> just a different name for it. Yes. I'm, 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 the feet are not hairy and not and they're not big. Yes, but it's also fantasy. It's not real.
1: So so talk to me. <laughs> talk to me about digital versus physical sculpts because I so this was the other topic that fascinated me
2: well the thing is Richie he really hates digital
0: sculpts I have to to put a caveat into that now and um, he
2: but I kind of caught him out I kind of I gave him a miniature which he really liked and he didn't realize it was digitally sculpted
0: yeah i think okay. it, it's, it's so it's it's not all digital sculpts it's just the vast majority i think that's what it comes
1: down to so what is it about a, what is it about a sculpt that make one makes you know it's a digital sculpt and then two you don't you makes it so what is it you don't like about that
0: if i can just say quickly it's actually quite simple um, i think that when you look at Um, most hand-done sculpts, the the sculptor puts something of themselves into it. And as a result of this, you can very often look at different ranges and go, that was done by that sculptor because I'm familiar with that guy's work. That was done by this sculptor because I'm familiar with that guy's work. Um, You can look at a range and see the entire thing done by one sculptor or a couple of them and you can see where the differences are. And I like that. I like the almost imperfections, if you will, Whereas with digital, I'm certain they're done by different people, but you can't tell. Because they all seem to be very, very similar. Mm. And that's the thing. And that's Well, it.
2: the thing about digital sculpts, they're much more closer to the actual concept than uh, normal sculpts ever could get. That's the thing. So it's much less about personal touch
0: of the sculptor. But that's what I want to see. So let me ask you this. I see it as art.
1: Have you looked at the creature caster stuff, John? No, yes. Yeah. Um, what do you think about his, um... what do you think about his sculpts?
0: Um, I think they look nice, but I wasn't wowed
1: by them. Okay. Same here. And you feel they look drastically different? Well, d- I don't want to put words in your mouth. How do they look to you? Do they look drastically different to you than when he was doing Ultra Forge?
0: Yes. And I actually preferred his Ultra Forge stuff.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: Well, I don't actually know about Ultra Forge, so I can't call <laughs> him, <on>, so. <clears throat> That's some homework for you, Andre. Because mm. yes, I heard because you did an interview with the guy, didn't you, yeah. Bill? Yeah. And afterward, and so I I'm, remember I'm, I'm, possibly a bit too much information, but at the time when I was listening to it, I was in the bath and I was like, "Ooh, let's have a look at this." And I was looking and I'm going, "Yeah, yeah." I, I loved his old stuff he did um and Walter Ford. It was really, really nice. And then look at the new stuff. And I can, I can still see. It is very much. It it does kind of look very similar to what he did before, but it also for me looks a bit more generic
2: well, then there's the other thing. For example, if you look at the Malafo digital sculpt, I think they're more for a uh, very experienced painter. Because it's very, because of very tiny, tiny detail, it's very hard to side brush them. That's the thing. You, you have to, on, like when I painted that Windigo, which uh, you've seen, Bill, a lot of hair on it is not actually the actual sculpted hair, but rather I freehand added it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I
1: I find it interesting because specifically talking about um, I, I'm putting a couple of links in the chat here. I don't know if, if in case people want to look. Yeah, we'll um, include that creature. Ca- so I'm putting up the links for the ultra Forge dragon and then the creature caster, quote unquote equivalent. Yeah. Dragon. Um, what I found interesting is when I when I interviewed Jeremy, he talked about the fact that um. You know, he he went out to teach himself how to do the same type of sculpting digitally that he did by hand, and that all this has really done is given him, um, if you will, given him more tools. You know, he he talked at length about getting stuck on specific details that really, at the end of the day, you couldn't really see.
0: Yes, I remember him saying that because you can get into so deep that you can get yeah, you end up getting, to you put in stuff there that yeah, literally the naked eye can't see. Right. Mm.
1: And, and I think there's a Chicago. new group. Well, I was going to say, I think there's a new group of artists out there who, like Jeremy, were traditional sculptors mm. who are now moving you know, as the industry is moving to digital who are now moving to digital and I was intrigued to hear and and it is intriguing to me to hear that you you see a difference there. To me, it looks like there's actually more detail in the new ones he put in which fits with what he was saying. There
0: is more detail but I think there's less definition.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: And that's and it's going back to like what Andre was saying about the things like side brushing and that sort of stuff. So in those exact ones, I'll put up the links because it's a very good comparison. Yeah. Um, You've well, got. on the sorry,
2: on the new Ashigaru's, there's like a little kind of crab-type logo thing on the chest plates. and uh, mm-hmm. I I have a the massive spyglass. Yeah, the weird ones, the 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 ones which came with the
1: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a really tiny sort of design which is barely visible even in the massive spyglass. I don't know how I'm gonna paint it. I haven't done it yet.
0: But uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we go back to the comparison shots here, um I mean you look at the original hand sculpted and you've got the fact that like across the neck you've got those large chunks of a plate of um chitin's armour, you've got the individual separated out bones, the ridges along the nose, and then you look at the new one and it's more smooth, if that makes sense. Um, it still has, you know, it, it's got detail, but there's there seems to be less over dramatic detail. If that makes sense. Okay. And I think that's the thing. I like the over dramatic detail. So you know, it's it's, it's, not that it's, not that it's not that it's not well done. Right. I, I, I'm looking, you know, and um. The, that that's dra- the way that, to balance it. That Richard. dragon isn't my, isn't my favourite of the two. His other one he did the other with the um the one that's on its claw. Yeah, the
1: the emperor, the one that's yes. uh, the one that's um, taking off. I
0: think that one was a lot nicer than that one. Um, okay. but still, I still prefer the um, thing. It's, it's not it's not this bad sculpt. This is, these are these are good examples of actually of good sculpts. It's just I prefer how the other ones look. The other ones look for me okay. more how I envision a dragon.
2: Okay, well okay. You're talking about this little obscure companies, but who do you think was the actual, like, um, who started, the, you know, the trend of doing digital sculpting, at least the way I know it? <laughs> it was Games Workshop. Okay. They've been doing digital sculpting for ages now, without me even realising it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's not necessarily a good thing, because a lot of what Games Workshop is put out is complete shit. Well,
2: I remember ages ago I bought this kit called uh, the Corpse Card. I still, I sort of started painting this, haven't finished it yet. It's kind of too much work. But the thing is, they started doing it ages ago and did it fairly successfully because what they done, they treated it not so, because you see, if we got weird sculpts, digital sculpts, it looks like they're done by people who did the video game models and things who doesn't realize they need to be shrunk afterwards yeah. because Games Workshop actually went out of the way to like you know have big, bigger heads and bigger hands and this sort of thing so it kind of fits in line with the rest of their range yeah Unlike uh, Weird, who actually you completely changed the physics of uh, you know of the miniature from the metal stuff. Yeah,
0: and let me see if I can find something. Um, On I the other hand, there is something in between. Yes, uh, Corvus it- Delli.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I've I've seen the people. I, it almost feels to me like there's a there's. It's sort of what I was saying before. There's a shift. There were there was the move by the industry. Uh, Games Workshop's been doing it for for quite a while, right? Since they went to the big kits, yeah. but there's the move by the wider industry uh, outside of Games Workshop to move to digital sculpting. And it almost feels to me like the industry moved. They a lot of people have moved to plastics as well as digital sculpts that then get made into um, not the metal mold. Uh, well, actually digital sculpts that then get 3D printed for a master model instead of a sculpt. And then that 3D print gets made for either a resin mold or a metal mold. And now I think we're starting to see some of those classic sculptors who were working in a physical medium teach themselves how to now work in the digital medium and move over. And I think that skill that they had, I would expect, is going to carry over. Um, I watched... Uh, you know, this is one of the reasons I, I, I brought up Guild Ball earlier. Yeah. I watched some of the sculpting that they did on Guild Ball, some of the live sculpting, mm-hmm. and the guy they have that's doing the model creation, whether you like the models or not from a taste standpoint... Yeah. He certainly went in, and he talks about. I have to add this in because it will replicate what would happen with a with a physical sculpt. I won't be doing this because it's one of the advantages we have for no, you know, um, what are they? The no undercuts, which we have to worry about when we print these models out. But that's a digital thing, you know. Uh, normally we would sculpt. You know, we talked about one of the live sculpting. He did wood, and he talked about creating his own tool. In the program that would replicate what he would normally carve for wood grain Mm
3: -hmm. onto
1: a, onto a staff. Yeah. You know, and those are all things that I could see before now, a traditional sculptor is going to think about where a non-traditional, a non-traditional physical sculptor isn't going to think about. They're just going to go, okay, cool. I have a staff. It's a smooth piece of wood and I'm going to print it.
0: Yes.
2: Well, I want to talk about Corvus Belli, who's the producers of Infinity Range.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, I've just because link, recently just link.
2: they, well, they kind of got in between Games Workshop and Malifaux, and they, I think they got the sweet spot there, because their miniatures are incredibly detailed. Yeah. But at the same time, they got certain things like they're trying to make like um, details somewhat larger to make well, painters to I've, because I've included, they
0: I've included a link which is um, from Beasts of War website and it was an article they did talking about that company moving over to digital
2: is that the video I
0: might have been And so the picture I've, I've linked is of two models from their Pan-Oceana range and it's
1: actually so what's a- funny here I actually like the guy on the right which I'm going to guess is probably the digital sculpt yes with and, the sharper edges and, and everything. that's the
0: thing, it's um, the same model. Yep. On the left is the hand sculpt, on the right is the digital sculpt. If you were to show me, by itself, the digital sculpt, I would not be able to tell you it's digital sculpt, because that, to me, does not look. There's something about the crispness and the the definition and that you just don't tend to see. And that's the thing, is you don't tend to see with it. To me, that looks like it should have been hand-done. I'm wondering if part of that is to do with the medium, because it's still cast in metal.
2: Not necessarily, because when you design in miniatures, you kind of, you go for the large detail, because the Games Workshop, when they started it, they kind of overdone it, because they always had large head and hands and Mm. things. And... Malafa on the other hand is exactly op- opposite. Tiny hands, tiny heads. Yes. Uh, uh, Corvus Belly is in between. Because they wanna try to make it easier for the artist to paint, but at the same time add a lot of detail. Because I think when it comes to digital sculpting, they're they're on the top of the game really. Mm.
0: And I like, said th- this was the company that actually I was like, wow, I you know I did not realize that what they were doing was digital sculpts. I did not realize that because I thought they were still uh, maybe that was it maybe that's because of the medium because of the fact that it's still in metal rather than plastic. Mm. I'm not sure. I mean, Well, there's no
2: undercutting uh because of this.
3: Uh-
0: Yeah. We've got another one here. I'll put both of these pictures in the links because people have to see this because otherwise it'll just confuse them while we're talking about things (laughs) without them being able to see. And this is, again, it's old versus new and it's to do with their... Ah, uh, they're Islam, whatever it's called. Uh, bikers. Bikers. I got them. The difference between the original and the new one. And again, if, when I saw that new one, I thought it was an amazing model, but I thought, I thought it was, um, hand sculpted again. Mm. I did, I did not re- I, if if you showed me that, well, literally, I thought it was hand sculpted. I think it was Andre, you said, yeah, that's done, done digitally, and I was like, get out of town. That does not look digital. <laughs> well, they
2: became me. so skilled, they, Actually, make it hard to see which one is digital, which one isn't,
0: yeah, so I mean in, that, in this one picture again i'll' going to include the l- link and the things. you can tell which one is better <laughs> right, <laughs> because one is technically better, regardless you know you might prefer like having a single but- wheel to a double wheel or whatever, but one is de- definitely technically better than the other I'm not going to say which, but I think it's pretty obvious <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you want. Now, it, it does make me wonder if some of those things that, that we've heard about from digital sculptors, right? Um, if that's what is adding to the, makes it better. Um, th- there's more definition on the stomach, on the muscles, on, on, you know, different parts of the bike, mm. and that's things that can be worked on over days. When you're digital sculpting, yeah, or the physical sculpts, you really can't. Yes, because at some point your me- your medium dries out.
3: Yeah, mm.
1: and in okay. hard Yeah, the
2: thing is, the thing about digital sculpting, it's tend to be very efficient because what they can do, they can sort of create like a like a doll for like specific human shapes, specif- for specific faction, and after that, they can just pose in and add. And add armor bits to it, like mm. you do in, like when you get like armor in a video game. Like, um...
1: so let me—that is great. That is a great segue to my question. <laughs> my, my question to you would be this: if, if the not super deep detail seems to be okay for so many games right now, yeah, how long is it going to be before we see? Crazy people like you or I or or you know any you know I I'll pick on Mike Marshall a little bit right (laughs) Um, Mike and I had some great discussions about we're both at different points (laughs) in our career but we have a lot of disposable income to use on hobbying. Mm -hmm. How long is it going to be before I can spend the money to buy a decent commercial grade three D (laughs) printer, put it in my basement? download the software, and like Andre just said, take a take a mannequin model, not really have to know anything about sculpting, tack enough pieces on that I can produce my own miniatures that look good enough to match the base level of most miniature games out there. And I'm not saying it's enough to scare people in the industry. Mm, Not for a while. Look at where people went. I mean, that's the same type of people like me went out and learned how to do you know, metal casting and bought their own metal kilns to put in their garage. Yeah. You know, it's the people that are willing to drop $10,000 US, $8,000 US on, a, you know, on on equipment, and then they just have it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it probably won't actually, in my opinion, be that. Speak be long, because, I mean, it hasn't... I mean, it, well, good one was this? Um... Probably about, f- only about five, maybe eight years ago, I remember there was a company who started doing, um, min- um they would, they did miniatures for World of Warcraft essentially. The idea was, is <laughs> that you would send them, um, the details of your character. They had a deal with Blizzard, who would then send them your Model as a render, and they would print it and then send it to you. So it would be your character in the game in a miniature format. Okay. And considering how it's you know it's a role play game, people spend a lot of time collecting armors and this sort of stuff. You know, people get attached to a certain image, so therefore it's quite important to a lot of people. Um, the point being, this was huge because they were like the first company to do this as this thing, and that was say about f- between like five eight years ago. Whereas now, you know, yeah. It, you look on Kickstarter and all this sort of stuff. It's almost, you know, if any, anyone with a with enough money seems to be able to just buy one of these things, and bam, away you go. Right. You know, and that's been in about five years. It's gone from one company, maybe two companies, to more than you can count in a hand. So it probably will not be that long because you know, as time goes on, technology gets better and cheaper, and blah 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 blah. blah. So yeah, um, I mean, I actually I. I love this idea, and I, think, I imagine, you know, like in something like twenty years' time or something, being able to have your own little pocket one in your house, and being able to, um, I think, you know, rather than going to the shop and buying the whatever, you're, you're actually you're buying this thing and you're getting it printed yourself. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. I mean, we've seen it with things so like video games and music in terms of digital downloads. Do it with models as well.
1: So here's a fun link for you. I just sent you another link if you want to share. It's for a company called Geomagic. Mm-hmm. I sent you the link for their Toys and Promotional section of industries. This is a 3D design piece of software that I can pick up that would go with a home-based um, 3D printer mm-hmm. that I could buy at Staples. Now, the 3D printer is crappy resolution. yeah, mm-hmm. But this is the software I would buy to go along with it. And it's fu- it was funny to me to click on the... Toys and promotional. Look at mm. the very first model <laughs> they have up as their. This is what has been. Yeah, this is what has been designed out of our software.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um, for those curious, we are looking at a Malfo model. Yep. Um, I'm not familiar with the name. Uh, it's Yamazeco.
1: Thank you. And there's actually funny enough. If you look, if you click through their website, they have a lot of the Ten Thunders range. Right. Apparently was designed with GeoMagic. Now I don't know how difficult it is, right? I, I have to, I have to believe, at, because I've spent money on these models and because, you know, <laughs> for a number of reasons, I have to believe it's still not simple, as simple as I just go out, grab this, put a couple of, you know, yeah. um, default formats together, drag my mouse across, you know, three or four times, spend two hours and I can scope up a model. Yeah. Um, But, I also have to imagine like Andre said we're, we're eventually going to get close enough that there will be libraries out there that I could eventually, given a year given three years, go out there, download the software mm. and say give me a female stick figure and let me drag in hair, let me drag in weapons, let me drag in armor, I'm going to grab the leg and do this and there will be enough intelligence in the software to do the posing for me and I'll get a almost good enough or a just good enough model
0: absolutely the question comes down to though um, how it will be done because I see I can imagine now this is just with my experience with other things but I can imagine there being certain boundaries that are put in place um, to make it a lot more difficult Uh, and what I mean is things like you know you have things like legalese You know, an entire Mm -hmm. language that exists purely to mean that these people keep their jobs.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, I mean, I'm currently studying for um, accounting, and, again, a large part of what I'm doing is learning this, you know, this is what the normal word is, this is our special word. So if you don't know it, you have to pay someone to tell you what this word means. So I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, you know, likewise, I can imagine them putting in certain blocks so that unless you're part of this special group your average Joe can't do it. And so you would then probably have an offsuit of that with, you know, pirates or whatever, or, you know, home group, h- home group people making their own stuff. But would that be as good as the professional? Right. You know, don't know. Well, <laughs> Actually, I, some, sometimes
2: sometimes g- the professionals don't get it right. Particularly if it's not human models, but monsters, because you got no, like, basic... Uh, right. I'm gonna there's talk always about going to talk about certain the, the professionals.
1: Models. There's always going to be the professionals who... Who do it better? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I so look my the the engineers that work for me. I manage a number of engineers who are network engineers. Anybody can go log into their home router and do a little bit of routing and switching. Yeah. But there's there's other levels that the professional guys that do this daily. I mean, I even sit at <gasps> dinner tables and don't know what they're talking about.
3: You know, Bill, <laughs> so- <laughs> in
2: miniature painting, being profes- being professional doesn't necessarily mean you're good.
3: Especially because if you, you're yeah. you professional, it means for you sell on eBay, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're professional. You've done it for money. It doesn't mean you're good or anything. Yeah. Like I'm an amateur. I'm mm-hmm. alright, but I'm an amateur. Yes. <laughs>
3: <But> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Okay.
0: Sorry, we got distracted. Um, I think what we're saying that yes, there will hopefully be a time where you can do that. But, I think you, that would only really work, in my opinion, based on how things are going. Because, yes, I think the, the technology will become cheap enough that maybe... Yes, you it know, give it enough decades, maybe 20, 30 years. Even a normal household will be able to afford it, maybe. But, at the same time, be able to do that for an army scale, I think that's... You know, I think the me- the medium and all of that, it would just be... Who cares about army scale? Skirmish! <laughs> But there is some, going to be the sheer quantity, so I think there is still going to be a cost involved. You know.
1: Now, do digital sculpts, um, because you say you, you as, as sort of a, a baseline, maybe not 100%, but as a baseline, you, perf- you dislike the digital sculpts. Do they then influence, or how much does that influence how much you enjoy a game?
0: I think, um... No. No. But, it, d- d- the question, I think, this the big, d- for me, it's a larger reaching question in terms of, you know, does it in- affect how I enjoy the hobby? Yes. Okay. And that's because I'm more of a painter and a model if I'm a gamer. Same here. That's the thing. Whereas, for example, you know, I really enjoy the game um, Attack Wing, Star um, Star Trek Attack Wing. Um, My wife and I were both big fans of Star Trek, and even though the models are pretty bad, we still really enjoy the game because the rule set is a good rule set. And of course, you throw on something like the Wrath of Khan soundtrack in the background, and it's awesome.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I'm, you know, when I look at that. It depends on different games for me. Mm. I am much more accepting of not great sculpts for Zombie Side than I am for... Because it's a board game that I sit down with my family. I don't have my stuff painted. Eventually, I'll get there, but, you know, it's not at the top of my list, and I'm much more accepting of that than I am of what I'm using for my Relic Nights models or what I used for any of the miniature games, Uh, you know, Wild West Texas or anything else I'm playing.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. Well, sometimes even like, miniature sculptors botch it though. And oh, Richie, sure. you know what I'm gonna, you know, Richie, you know what
0: I'm talking about. Oh, yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: It's the Infernal, what's it?
0: The Infernal Crusher. Yeah. Eldorado. In the email, this, I'll put i I'll put a picture up for people, but in the, um, in Bill, the email that Andre sent you, the first picture.
1: Is that that first model? Yeah. Oh, thank God that's a botch, because I was trying to figure out what the heck it that is model is supposed to be,
0: it is other
1: than just a big blob of plastic with it, axes. It's
2: metal. Uh, it is you, Really? It's metal, Minister,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's digital. It's the... Um, <laughs> well, whoever does Heldorado right now, <laughs> it's, it's the very it's the kind of first attempt at doing digital sculpts. Now, Ned, let me tell you something about it. Because normally in Heldorado range, they actually show examples of either painted miniatures or just, uh, uh, undercoated white miniatures. With this, they don't show the sculpt, they just show you concept art.
0: <laughs> yes, there's no official, there is no official pictures of the, of the render of anything of it. So, is imbalance. this
1: something you can fix with painting?
0: I don't know. I don't know. It's it's just a terribly bad model.
1: It's a big blob. Yeah. It, it think... <laughs> it's funny the detail. It's it, it 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 lacks detail, and where it does have detail, the detail's just bad. Yes. <laughs> it's, ooh, muscle.
0: And the pose. There's gotta be a muscle is... here. Oh. I
1: think it's an arm.
2: See, none of the dynamics. Which is normally associated with digital scouts. I know what it reminds
0: me of. I've been trying to think of what it reminds me of. I know exactly what it reminds me of. Um, Did you guys ever play Warhammer Quest? I did not. No. Ah. I know about the game, but I... Let me see if I can find a picture, and I might have to put a link of there No, tell tell me about it. Um, In Warhammer Quest, there was a model, a plastic model of a Minotaur. And that's exactly what this (laughs) reminds (laughs) me of. (laughs) That reminds me of Epic Blood uh, uh, Dust. Um, okay, this. Is, okay. If anyone wants to, I'm not going to bother putting a link up because all you have to do is just Google Warhammer Quest Minotaur, and you will find it. And give me one second, guys, and I will post here. We go. I'll, I'll even do a bit. I'll even be nice to them, and I'll even put up the the official. Oh no, that's not there. Come on, okay, I can't use the official one because that's not working. Here we go. I'll put this. I'll, there we go. Nice little picture for you guys. Oh, that is.
1: That's fantastic.
0: uh, It's just this, the pose... It's fantastically bad. (laughs) It is the same thing. It's the same (laughs) model. It's as if they've taken the same basic thing. They've turned horns It's as if they, you know, uh, someone who never really
2: tried digital sculpting. This is their first attempt.
1: You know, Richie, Richie, you're completely wrong. This model you gave us only has one axe, and it has toes.
0: I think it's actually better. I think there's more yeah. detail in the Warhammer Quest Minotaur. How old is <laughs> it? Well, it's Warhammer Quest. I mean, I, I don't know. It's... 90s. Early let 90s. Let me see if I can... F- it should be on Board Early Game. 90s, Richie, yeah.
2: I think I'm pretty <laughs> accurate with that.
0: It should be on Board Game Geek, for sure. Let me see.
2: Oh, don't bother. We're out of... We're with the cool already, there's too many but things. But yes, yeah,
0: so that's, that's what this is. It, it, it's 95. 1995. It was was it was it a plas- plastic model included with the others. It was the fantasy version of... Well, it's the, it was the updated version of Heber Quest, basically. And, yeah. That's what that model reminds me of. That 1995 WarhammerQuest plastic mine itself. <sighs> okay, yeah,
3: okay,
2: I think- <laughs> Let's move to another topic yes.
1: so We've 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 killed the topic of women in gaming. We've killed the topic of <laughs> digital sculpting versus physical. <laughs> okay, well, we
2: I can do my really short uh, hobby article before you can kill the topic of uh, relic lights, <laughs> Bill. I'm talking
3: to you. Okay, okay.
2: Right, it's gonna be really short this time. It's about fin- finding like research material. for for when painting or even doing bases. Because um, I normally, you know, when I pick color schemes, there's lots of people who actually post, like, color theory, like wheels with different colors. I don't actually buy that sort of thing. It does nothing to me. Because when you're translating that to miniature, it's not just about picking up a bunch of colors which work well together. Yeah. Because with miniatures, there's so much more. First I, of all, I,
0: I, I agree. I agree a lot in that. I'm not a big fan of the color wheel and the science behind painting.
2: Well, no, color wheel is a good thing, just not for miniatures. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that's what I mean
0: for for miniatures. Uh,
2: because, like, uh, when you like look at a certain sculpt, you decide which part's gonna be which color. Mm. is depending on a sculpt. Uh, it's Can change the way it looks in so many ways. It's not just about picking, you know, just a group of colors which work well together. Plus, it's not just about which object gets painted which color. It's uh, about certain um, effects. Mm. Which, for example, when you look at um, concert art or just fantasy art. Yeah. When you look at the shadows and the highlights, they often different colors. The shadows are different colors from the highlights of the same colored object. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? What do you mean? For example, uh, you have warm color, warm colors in the highlight, or and cold colors in the shadows, or yes. sometimes very different colors. Yes. For example, like when I had a very early painting guide for Games Workshop it sort of shows you how to paint like this type of miniatures and like this. So you need to use this colour for mm-hmm. base colour this colour for highlight and this colour for uh, for shading and they were pretty much the same colour only lighter darker and even more darker yeah but you see what I do now when I do in shadows, I'm doing completely different color. For example, if like if someone's coat is brown, not too dark, but average brown, mm-hmm. I would, I would make shadows with like really dark blue. Okay. Really? Yeah, so- I do it semi-transparent, but when you go it over brown, the original brown would bleed through the transparent dark blue, navy kind of color. But the shadows would be darker, but it would make the thing so much more alive.
1: Now, no, I know you're probably gonna vomit all over this question of mine, but as a, as a bad neophyte tabletop painter.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Does that mean that I can do my mid, if I'm painting a coat, I can do my mid-tone brown yeah. on the whole surface and then wash it with a blue wash?
2: It's not about wash. It's not about washes. It's about um, mixing. (laughs) It's it's about watering down paint, so it's sort of kind of semi-transparent. So it's applying applying over the over the parts which should be sort of in the shadow, depending where the light source is. Where you decide the light source is for the miniature. Okay. You decide where the shadows are. It's all about deciding where the shadows are, and those you paint those in a
1: semi-transparent color. So let me let me go let me let me try to go different. It's not about washing, sorry. No, no, no. no, I'm. (laughs) I'm, and I get that. So why do you pick blue off Mm. of brown? Like if your base is brown, why do you pick blue to go for the shadow?
2: Well, generally. It's about being an artist, I guess, generally, not about miniature painting, but I actually do, like, uh, landscapes and still life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Normally, the, l- the colors in the light supposed to be fairly warm. Mm-hmm. The colors in the shadows supposed to be cold. Okay. Um, Excuse <laughs> me. The thing is, you, you know about cold and warm colors. Mm-hmm. Because, like, blue. It's cold. Mm-hmm. Yellow is warm. Red is warm. Purple is in between, depending if it's got more or more blue or more red in it. Okay. Same about green. If green has more blue than, than yellow, it's cold. If it's got more yellow than blue, it's warm.
3: Hmm, okay.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, and for highlight, you can create completely different color. You can make the highlight sort of slightly yellowish. But the way to do it, you, you would have to do, like, very transparent white over brown, and then
0: blend it, and then do yellow over it. <laughs> uh,
2: <coughs> yeah.
0: So, you're saying how... you're talking about how you'd get inspiration.
2: Oh, about getting inspiration. Yeah. So, you look at... uh you look at fantasy art, really. For example, um, there was a guy who used to work in my local games workshop who really hated non-metal uh yeah. metallics. He he said, like, he really liked confrontation miniatures, but they did a lot of non-metallic metals. And he said they got fear of metal paint.
0: Okay, but what... So... The colours you're using, so you're saying, you know, we're going back to the coat with the brown, with blue. Where would you get the inspiration to use blue from as opposed to another cold colour? And could you use any other cold colour? You could use any other cold colour. Blue is just an example. Look at, um,
2: look at artists like, uh, Gerald Brom. Better known just as Justice Brom. Or Frank I Frazetta.
0: I think you mentioned him before.
2: Frank Frazetta. Or someone who done a lot of D&D art, um... Oh, what's the guy's name?
1: Uh... Yeah, Brom Wayne did a lot of Dorado, Not Heldorado, um, Dark Age stuff.
2: Uh. That's Brom.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Or, for, or Paul Bonner, who did a lot of art for Confrontation. He used to work for Games Workshop, but...
3: yeah. yeah.
2: You see, if you look in the shadows, you know, they're often slightly different color than the actual, than the actual base Mm. color. And that, that makes the whole design look much more alive. And it's not just about color. If you see like a little pattern which you think could make really great freehand, Mm. use that. Use little things. When you look in a concept art, you know, don't just say okay, I am um, can use same color scheme for this character as for one character in the miniatures, because it's different objects, different types of clothes sometimes uh, translating it to that miniature would be made very difficult, just look for certain things, just um, look at certain like When you have like a, like a leather coat or something on the character. See how he painted. Try to copy that effect on the miniature. And uh, again, with non-metallic metals. You know, do you see anyone using metallic colors in a fantasy art? No. No.
0: But, but but the sword looks nice! (laughs) Saying that, however, give me a second. Carry on. Yeah, and well, that's
2: basically for painting, you know. For flesh, again, you know, if you look at Frank Frazetta, you know, just fantasy art with his cone and stuff and things like that, you know, you see there's so many colors in that flesh. You mm. know, it's not just flesh tone, there's so many highlights and shadows and, and also not necess- you don't necessarily have to use one color in the shadows. Yeah. You can, in different parts, you can use different color for shadows. Mm. Um, it's complicated, but you can make the miniature look so much more alive when you do that.
0: Mm. Okay, now here's an example. Okay, here's something. Um it's it's a slight tangent, but you say you know, people don't use metallics and all of that and they're doing art and they don't. However, you do have um I don't even know how you describe it, but there's the art style that's used by Top Cow comics. Um they do things like Witchblade in the Darkness. Mm. If you if you um if um I know you can't do this on Andre at the moment, but if um Bill, if you're not familiar with it, if you just do a quick Google for um like say the Darkness comic. Anyway, okay, I used to get out. them. I um, used to get Darkness and Witchblade. I got yeah. rid of them, I sold them, but the I know so you're you familiar with the look. It's, it's it's the fact that the artwork that comes out it has an almost metallic sheen to it.
2: It's I think it's to do with digital painting, I guess. Because use the sort of digital airbrush. If I, was to
0: tr- if I was to try and recreate that sort of appearance of the model, how would I go about doing that? Would that be would, would you use an airbrush you- or- Yeah, I think you do. But I don't actually like using airbrush.
2: I like more gritty, more realistic kind of. Ble- it's harder and it it's slower, but because as a painter, I'm an impressionist when I'm painting just landscapes and. Still life and portraits. Mm. I'm an impressionist. I'm not realist. And so this this kind of gritty, you know, very well put brush stroke, I prefer it much more to then like perfectly blended something. Mm. It's it's just a personal personal choice, nothing else. But No, I understand that. Mm. It's like when you got dark age new dark age miniatures, the prevailers, you know, things the non-metallics—they look kind of gritty. They're not perfectly blended, yeah. but they look much more alive than anything uh, Infinity, who are doing like perfect
0: blended uh, transitions and things. Mm. Well, yeah, mm. the, yeah, the paint job for, for the um, Dark Age recent stuff is absolutely amazing.
2: Mm. Okay, same goes for three D stuff, like the ideas for bases like if okay. you've seen my latest lady j on a mine shaft it's not exactly a mine shaft it's a piece of ruin okay. but i actually got that thing uh, uh from a video game concept art This was like a collapsing wall and someone used planks to sort of oh. hold it in place temporarily mm. i actually copied that idea of the actual that the, the way the planks are placed it's not about copying exactly something which you can actually replicate on the base or something but use little details sometimes you have to use your imagination and just construct things out of things you press molded combine it with stuff which you actually uh, sculpted from scratch I mean trees my speciality you might have noticed but um, just it's a, it's a lot to do with composition, but look at the concept art for video games. Mm-hmm. Like, I've even been influenced by um concept art from... Oh, what's that MMO
0: you're doing now, Richie? Uh, oh, the one I was playing. I've actually stopped now. Um, you're talking about... <laughs> um, you're talking about um, Wildstar yeah wildstar right. i
2: actually got a copied a lot of wildstar concept art for internet and like okay i'm so ready to use these bits and now like certain like buildings you know okay i can use parts of them don't don't copy the whole building use the little part of something like the planks or like the, the way the planks are shaped or Lots of things. It's find little details when you like and make things out of them. Yeah. That's 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 the idea. Because I'm not I'm not even considering myself an amateur. I'm less than that. I have a good understanding of composition. Mm. But sculpting is not my strong point. <laughs> but I'm making really nice bases which people in the forum say they're very jealous of, but you know half of it is press molds. Half of it is my sort of below-average sculpting. <laughs> but all together, will look nice. <laughs> but,
3: you know, I mean, honestly... Honest. Also,
2: going back to Lady J, the yeah. way this sort of... Um, you got this um, object source lighting. I copied that from Wayne Reynolds' artwork. <laughs> so there you go. Also, um, Bill, mm-hmm. you heard of an artist called Paul Bonner.
1: Paul Bonner? No, um
2: Do oh, yourself a favor on. and buy yourself the concept art book. It's called Out of the Forest, the Out of Paul Bonner. It's it's really cheap book, but it's very well printed. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful uh, miniature gaming art you
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at stuff on uh Google right now and a lot of his stuff. Look on
2: Amazon look on Amazon. It's just look the out of a Forest, the Out of Paul Bonner. Okay. Also, Brom Offerings and Brom uh, dark works J- Brom, concert, uh, you know, just... They're not expensive books, but they're such a great,
0: you know, uh, table books, you know. Right. There we go, now everyone has a uh, reading list. <laughs> oh, and, um, and Wayne Reynolds... The art of Wayne Reynolds. <laughs> Was it
3: cool?
2: Yeah. Wayne Reynolds, you know, he does a lot of, like, iconic uh, characters, concept art for D&D and uh, Pathfinder. Mm. It's just so inspiring for just general miniature painting and base design. By all means, get these book and look at them. They'll mm. give you so much ideas. It's like, move. And look for video game concept art on... I, th-
0: I think there's, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, it, most of your bases and stuff are, you know, press molds and this sort of stuff. But, but, yeah, I can yeah. sculpt as well. But there's <laughs> nothing wrong with, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, essentially what it is, is you're taking inspiration and this sort of stuff from other people and blah, 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 blah. And, but, but the thing, that's what, what I press mold, I'm
2: not actually press molding objects. I'm press all molding little, uh, um, uh, uh, little details, yeah. little cosmetic details, which can be added to things, and textures. Yeah. I press mold in textures, like brickworks. I'm so abused at how the brickworks. Are, I, you press mold the brickwork, and then you cut it in the shape you need, and you have like a brick wall, which is look very atmospheric. Mm. Also, like with what I did with Fuhatsu, I actually got a little jar. I sort of pressed some millipot onto the side of the jar and then press moulded the brick thing like
0: uh. so it becomes semi-circular yeah I get yeah. Hmm. so that's mm. how you did that I was wondering how you did that mm,
2: yeah now you know <laughs>
0: giving up my uh, trade, trade secret, secrets that. yeah
2: <laughs> well miniature gaming was always a social thing it's, all, it's about showing off and it's about sharing really so. absolutely <coughs> absolutely yeah so I think I think I said enough <laughs> yeah, was okay good. Bill Bill I was hoping you can talk a little bit about Relic Knights and I don't know if you got my emails but I was begging you to find out from your friends who gets all the factions something about a <laughs> Speed Circuit so, a so
1: so so I, I I did ask um so John who got everything has not played Speed Circuit either <laughs> um i i mentioned uh, no funny funny enough so tuesday uh last um i'm sorry saturday i I went out met the guys and um late saturday i ended up uh, getting a couple of games in and at dinner that night i said to them listen i'm gonna be reporting recording a podcast they want to know about cersei and i haven't even played against cersei yet so what can you guys tell me to share so so John and Dixon and Luke all sat down and said, Okay, this is what Cersei you did is your homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, see listen, you asked me to do something, so I, I got you. you back. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um so the complete idea behind Cersei is they're fast, they get objectives, and Dixon swears that uh uh they can score their objectives in the first round, so if they get the right objectives for the game, don't even play the game. <laughs> Okay. Now keep in mind the sources there and keep in mind that gives you no context about the game whatsoever. <laughs> other than...
2: Well, I I think I got the concept of some concepts of the game from your Gamer's Lounge podcast. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: so one of the things to remember uh, about Relic Knights when you look sort of across all the factions is and I'm going to say this and I know there's going to be a couple of people that say oh this is impossible, but Relic Knights has taken the idea of objectives, not necessarily kill-based objectives, but of objectives, Mm. and taken it a step even further than Weird did. So every game, the first step of deployment, after you get your board and your terrain set up, is each side deploys a primary and two secondary objective markers which are tied to objectives and count as units in the game. They're mandatory units you get that you don't spend for. Mm. So they can be attacked, they can block line of sight, and they fulfill multiple roles across the... the there's six different colors, if you will, uh, six different areas of focus and energies. And each of those six areas has a primary... Uh, a primary objective mission that can score you that five victory points. Me to
2: get the ride game.
1: Yeah, so you know, there's primary, there's secondary, and then there's faction objectives. So you are always playing with those three objectives plus the ability to earn points from killing units plus the ability to earn extra points from killing the opposing knight.
2: No, it's just, when I found out about deployment, deployment of objectives and deployment of the whole forces, I'm like, well, you know, that kind of made my head spin. It's like, I thought that was so original, it's like nobody ever done this before. That's the next,
1: it's completely doing away with uh, of deployment zones. There are no deployment zones. So... You know that gets kind of interesting. In fact, we talked about that. Um, I, I had another friend come over on Sunday, and we talked about that. In a lot of cases, you'll still carve out your own deployment zone because the way deployment works is, I let's say I'm placing. Well, you know, the, the place. <laughs> well but if I'm the villain, I'm going to put my first objective down. It may be a primary, maybe a secondary. That now defines nine inches around my objective that you cannot place your objective. Mm. So I can start to carve out parts of the board. Now a lot of times you'll end up with just a different sort of hashing out. Let's say the way we, you know, the way we deploy, it'll just hash out where you've carved out, carved out your part of the board, I've carved out mine, and there's a no man's zone in the middle. But there are other times, and John and I have run into this, we've played the most games against each other, where we will have our objectives completely intermeshed across the board. So now when I go to deploy my units, I cannot deploy one of my units within nine inches of my opponent's units or objectives. So the board really will to get carved up, and there's a great deal of potential strategy built in. Now, when you take that idea and you run back to Cersei, Cersei really are fast. They're not very... And I did end up playing against Cersei on Sunday, unexpectedly. Um, there's two sides to the Cersei army, if you will, as far as I can tell. There's the jet bikes, mm-hmm. and they are fast, 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 fast. So they can move ten on their first action, ten inches.
2: Uh, how rule he- how rules-heavy is that faction? Compared to Doctrine, for example.
1: Uh, less rules-heavy than Doctrine.
2: Okay. More rules heavy than uh, Black Diamond?
1: Um, probably about, I would say about the same. Oh. Um, I, I will stick with Doctrine. Uh, doctrine, I was told this when I first picked it up, and, and I'll stick with it. Doctrine have possibly the most complexity in how they play. Uh, but it's not by a long distance. I mean, there's not a huge distance between the complexity of the different, you know, rules heaviness between the different factions. Because
2: what, what I uh, thought from your podcast is that uh, Black Diamond is fairly rules light faction.
1: Yeah, except Black Diamond has a lot of overpowers, which means they they are able to p- punch through and ignore some defenses. And they have some pretty decent guards and redirects that make them nasty. So they're a ranged faction. They're pretty straightforward. I think no, no is probably the most straightforward. They're really punchy and they do a lot of, um, pushing things around the board. So either pushing you away or pulling you towards them and then hitting you real hard in melee. Um, black diamond is a little more complex than that. They, they actually have some good combos in and out that um, that will either increase damage or or do different things. Uh, the, one of the black diamond leaders, Magnus, has a way to strip Esper. Esper is the ability is the energy you use to trigger all your abilities. Um, so you know, and then Doctrine. While I am very single-colored, single type of Esper to do the majority of my abilities. So I'm really only looking, out of the six colors, I'm really only looking for one color to come up in my hand, with a very bit of a secondary.
2: Sorry, I don't get about this color deck. Do you actually use, like, like, the whole deck, or you mainly pick the colors you need in the deck? So there's...
1: it's a... it's a 42-card deck, and... And what do you pick it from? Oh no, it's... everybody has the same deck.
2: Oh, okay.
1: it's It's a... it's a set deck, with six different colors. And then a wild cards and void cards.
2: So you're only really looking for one color in all the deck.
1: So for, well, for Doctrine I'm really looking for one color. Mm. Um, Black Diamond is typically looking for two. A lot of the no are looking for two or three. Um, the healing side of the Cersei Speed Circuit is really only really looking for one color. Uh, which is green. So it's, well, it's, it's how they make it more complex and can kind of balance the abilities in the game. This so is you, odd
2: because they're looking for green colors, but they're no, like pink.
1: Yeah, well. No, <laughs> Not right. what I
2: would paint them pink. I would never paint them pink to be honest, but yeah. But I mean,
1: you know, one of the things you can do, you can set a really powerful ability and then make it so you need three three different colors. So you have to add add up your cards and your held Esper to get to maybe nine total Esper. But three, because all the colors come in either, you know, on a card you either choose the lesser color on the card, which gives you one of that Esper, or the larger color on the card, which gives you two of that Esper. Having to get three is actually a pain. A complete pain in the ass. Because now I'm at a minimum of two cards and a lot of times if I have two two large yellows, I'm still using that to get my three, and I'm wasting an Esper, because Esper doesn't roll over to the pushes. So it makes you burn, and it, it make, you know, makes you a lot more resource intensive. The, the more so, colors... Okay. Uh,
2: Cersei is about speed and about healing, that's what to say, really. Yep. Okay.
1: And the nice thing is, like, on the speed side, uh, while I haven't played against the speed side, they do have the capability, if they get the right objectives, that they deploy nine inches away. Their first move is a ten-inch move. Ah. So they can move up, grab the token, or grab whatever they need off your objective, if they have a well, we good... Or can
2: block them, I guess, or something. Uh, uh, dependent. Cool. But, yeah. Deployment is so much more important than this yes. than any other game, <laughs>
1: Yes, absolutely, and then and then movement in this is is equally as important as all other games, because you know there's the the way movement works, uh, just and how important it is. You know, there is no ranges, so line of sight is the range for any any spell, which are the psychic attacks and any ranged attack. So how you move and when you get cover and where you're moving to, all becomes really important.
2: Also, can I ask you something about, um, you know, knocking things out of the queue? I mean, yep. what does that happen when you re-queue it? Um, do you, like, you lose a turn, or you just, another of your models get, you know, action instead, or how does that work? So,
1: So, we're playing a 50-point game, and you set up a queue. So, at the very beginning of the game, once we finish with deployment the villain is going to set his queue first. So he's going to choose the order of the first three models that are going to activate
2: Sorry, you you keep saying the villain. What do you mean? (laughs) How do you decide who's the villain?
1: There's a flip at the beginning of the game. One person is the villain versus the hero. Yeah. (laughs) And then, so, the villain deploys first, sets their queue first, the hero activates first. Okay. So, as the villain, I'll set up, and let's say we're playing a 50 point game, I have a queue of three, of three units. I will set up my queue for the first three units I'm gonna activate. And that's, that's the order. They're gonna roll right from the first place in the activation queue into ready, one at a time. And then you're gonna set up your queue. Now, I will move, you know, you'll activate. You'll move your first model into the ready zone. That's now the active model. Your other two models in the queue will move up, leaving an empty third slot in your queue. You'll do all your activations with your model, you'll finish your turn, your model will come out, uh, come out of the ready area, and then you will refill the queue. You could put the same model back in the queue, or you could put another model in the queue. So let's say you go through all that and now you know what, what's up next. So you're setting your hand based on the colors you have in hand. Okay, um, so
2: it's not exactly how I imagined it, because I sort of thought it would be a bit more like there's a certain video game. Uh, there's an RPG. Uh, what was it called?
1: Is it uh, fi- Final Fantasies, I think? was. It's similar. not Final
2: Fantasy, no. It's, it's the one where you have sort of like it's in sort of semi-real time, where you can actually, if you hit something, you can uh, make it lose a turn and go into back of a queue. It had a queue in there as well. Just, oh, what was it
1: called? Can do that. So, So let's say it comes over to me. You've already set your hand for the next model that's going to come up. If I have an ability that can knock that model out of the queue, and I do that, as soon as I knock it out of the queue, your second and third model in the queue will move up to fill the slot... And then you'll have, you know, the best you can do is reset that model back at the end of the queue. So now everything you were prepared to activate next, you have two other models to activate, and I have oh, two other models so it to activate. So how
3: I thought it would. Yeah, yeah it does it work out. Hmm.
1: And then there's abilities that say, um, so I have an ability that says if you begin or end your activation in my area of effect, you cannot be added back into the queue immediately. So a lot of times what you'll see people do, especially with their knights, is the knight will activate and then immediately go back into the queue to activate as soon as possible. Well this says you gotta put another model in first. You cannot put the, you know, you can't pull them out of the ready zone and put them back into the queue at the end of the turn. And there's other abilities that do the same thing, knock the model with knockback and it can't be reset into the queue this turn. Ah, interesting. So playing the cues is, is a is a pretty powerful ability. There's not a lot of it out there, but it is a pretty powerful ability.
2: Hmm. So I presume Nebula Corsairs is the other rules heavy faction.
1: Uh, so the pirates are very random. The corsairs are very random. They have a lot of abilities that then do what's called a flip. So they may do a shot that has a flip four. And, and I've seen this a fair amount. So they have a basic shot that does two points of damage. You flip four cards. For every orange that comes up on those cards, it adds a damage. For every uh, blue, which represents law, it subtracts a point of damage.
2: Oh, it's very chance-based. It's sort of yes. a bit like... Uh, uh, I'm normally bad with names, but now uh, now that i drunk, I became even <laughs> worse at it. In Bushido... The Silvermoon Syndicate. Okay. Yeah, they very random. It involves a lot of coin flipping in the game, and uh, so you don't know what you're going to do with yeah, your well, actions.
1: You typically know what you're going to do, and then you're just hoping that you get more buff than you get, you know, stuff taken oh, away. Oh, okay. Um... They they are not the fastest, they're pretty average on speed. Um, I've actually played against Corsairs the most. Uh Corsairs and Doctrine are the two factions that most people at my local store have been playing, with uh, Black Diamond being a secondary.
2: Well, um, just looking at the aesthetics of the actual miniatures, to be honest, I like the C the most. <laughs> Black Diamond I don't actually like. Okay. At all. Except for the Relic Knight. (laughs) The the, the one shot is nice. And I hate hate all the other Relic Knights.
1: (laughs) Oh, jeez. So that's the other thing we're starting to find, is um, John and I played a game, Relic Knight against Questing Knight, the other night. uh, How does
2: it work out? Is it it, uh, balanced?
1: um, I would say no. Now... The comment after the games by other people watching was that it was the specific relic knight that he picked. Um, I wiped out everybody on. Yeah, you know, we both had very bad primary missions. I wiped out everybody else, every other model he had, except his relic knight and his uh, cipher, which ciphers can't be killed. Mm-hmm. And his relic knight proceeded to run roughshod over the rest of my 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 force.
2: Sorry, who who was he playing?
1: He was playing Calico Kate.
2: That's from,
1: uh... From uh, the Corsairs. Okay, yeah. So it was Calico Kate versus uh, versus Dof- uh, Delphine. Uh, Delphine out of Doctrine, Little Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. it is actually a pretty combat-y... I mean, she can deal a fair amount of damage. She's a pretty combat-y uh, questing knight. And I I don't think I put more than five points of damage on Calico Kate the whole game. And I wiped out every other model he had and then was trying to focus on missions and he was able to block me into a corner and keep me with a single rare ignite model, keep three of my models from actually doing any of the, doing any of the mission. Oh. And it became just a grind of me hiding because he knew he couldn't ignore my questing knight, which was the only thing that could really do damage to him. He couldn't ignore her. But I couldn't run anybody else in close enough. Mm. And effectively I kept hiding with the Quest of Knight and he kept moving around trying to get a bead on her until finally he was able to, able to do that and then get the kill. And it just, I mean, he completely gave up on doing his objectives, went for complete kills. Um, I couldn't get to my objectives and it, it came down. I mean, our game was within one point of each other. So I lost by one point, but it came down to that final, you know, that final game. I, I mean, the way I described it afterwards is, she, Calico Kate beat me up, and then I went and killed the rest of her crew, so she beat me up worse, <laughs> and then I said, please stop hitting me, she decided to beat me up even worse than that, for asking. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty bad.
2: Now, presumably, if instead of Red Riding Hood, you had that, uh, uh, Doctrine Relic Knight,
1: that, uh, Now, we do think that Relic Knight on Relic Knight is probably fairly balanced because of the types of abilities Relic Knights have. Hmm. Now, we haven't tried it yet, but that's our suspicion, is that yeah, Relic Knight... I imagine react- if
3: you
2: beat up his old canyon, he would be only Relic Knight left, and, uh, if you actually had a Relic Knight instead of Red Riding Hood, you'd probably fare a little better. <laughs>
1: Well, and, right, and that's what we think is it. Relic Knight to Relic Knight is probably fairly balanced. Questing Knight to Questing Knight is very balanced. We just don't think there's a big balance Questing Knight to Relic Knight. Now, again, other people were saying it's because Calico Kate is a step above the other Relic Knights that she's she's one of the tougher ones. Mm.
2: What if you were like playing doctrines? Would would the Doctrine the Questing Knight be able to get away from Calico Kate?
1: I don't know much about the Doctrine Questing Knight. I know she's a big cat, and she gets a lot of Esper, but I don't know much more about her than that.
0: Okay. Uh, here's a random question.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. How would... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that, that didn't come out at all I intended. Wait, 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 I oh, know God. the
1: answer to that, I think it's... Bl- 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 bl-
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is the chances of, oh, is it, pl- is it possible to play a game which would literally be Relic Knight versus Relic Knight and nothing else?
1: Huh. I I, I mean, I guess you could, but that would be like playing Caster on Caster or Master on Master, mm. like uh, Malifel Master on Master or War Machine Caster on Caster. Right, you have your cipher, you have your your knight and that's all you're doing. Yes, because it's objective based, you could just run around and do objectives. Um but I still of course, think that not
2: all of them are beat sticks, they're relic knights,
0: isn't it?
1: Right, right. So if you have two beat sticks, they'll end up being exactly that, the two of them beating on each other.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, cause I mean, I remember, you know, long before they actually released the game, you had mm-hmm. the Relic Knights available by themselves. So, before any of it even started, I was looking at it thinking, is it gonna be, you know, an anime version of Inquisitor, for argument's sake? Obviously right. it's not. <laughs> <but> <laughs> what? I, I was thinking you, it could be, you know, an interesting take.
1: You can almost play that way though, with some of, um a lot of what you'll see and and it's something we've watched and and we've been a little worried about, is you'll see people put their Relic Knight in to activate and put the cipher right after it and then put one other model. Or reverse that, cipher, Relic Knight, another model. And then immediately, the only model that ever gets swapped out is the not Relic Knight, not cipher.
3: Mm.
1: So they're trying to activate their Relic Knight and their ciphers as often as possible. Yeah. And then you have one other cheerleader who's doing something else.
0: Yeah, some, and yes, the rest of the force is just there for mm. b- buffing and backing and...
1: I almost it makes me think
0: that the game off. would be better without Relic Knights themselves.
1: <laughs> and again, they don't even buff because they never activate.
3: Oh yeah, of course.
1: So the only thing they're there for is if you happen to kill the one model that they're using... You know, if you can't take yeah. the Relic out, and you happen to kill the other middle model well, they have to put another one in until they run out of other little middle models. Mm. Um, now, that's one of the things I've been playing... I've been playing around with the activation queue a bit because my questing knight, Delphine, mm-hmm. um, she and the Big Bad Wolf, her cipher, are linked, which means every time Echis, the Big Bad Wolf, activates, Delphine goes into sort of a companion activation Mm -hmm. and gets to immediately activate next. So I get to take two activations in a row before you activate your next model. So one of the things I can do is I can, if I need a quick turnaround, and I I don't think it's a winning strategy all the time, but I do think it's a key part of the strategy of playing them. If I need to get my questing knight, who is one of my powerhouse beaters, back into the rotation to do damage quickly if I need to kill, let's say, a primary objective or if I need to do some damage dealing, I will actually queue up Echis followed by Delphine followed by a third model.
3: Because
1: yeah. then as soon as Echis goes active, it frees up two slots on my queue. Mm-hmm. Which means there's only going to be one model in between Echis activating twice. I
3: see.
1: And the big thing with that is Echis allows me to generate a lot of Esper, mm. and I'm I have a faction that's very Esper dependent. Even though I only need one color, um, you know, one of my other big beaters, Fiamata, who's the big fire witch, mm-hmm. she only has one attack, and that one attack takes five yellow to trigger, mm-hmm. and that's what she does: is she rains fire. Ignoring line of sight, somewhere on the board, but it takes five Esper to do it. So I usually need one or two held Esper with her to be able to get the ability off. Mm. So if I can generate it very quickly with Echis over a turn or two, that helps me and fuels and sort of supercharges the rest of my faction. Yeah. So if I can, you know, so what I found is when I hit those spots, I'll do a real quick turnaround where I'm queuing up Echus and Delphine both in my ready queue, and then refilling. So Echus instead of going to the third spot when he's done, will go to the second spot, mm-hmm. and then I slide another model in. They'll cycle through again, and then I'll be able to requeue both Echus and Delphine. So it, you know, it sort of cycles that whole whole queue very quickly.
2: Well, that's a doctrine thing, isn't
1: it? Right. Well, that's a linked thing. So there are that's for doctrine. It helps me do Esper because it's my questing knight and my cipher. There is other models. Um, I forget what the unit is. I just played against the other day. There's there's actually a unit in Corsairs where they link with a unit which is a shooting unit. Okay. So. You'll do the same thing there to get a real, if you need to deal a lot of damage all in one area, you'll deal, you'll put both Link units in and cycle them as fast as possible, and they'll be able to dump a ton of, ton of damage out in an area. And then you go back to just kind of playing the normal game. So there's little ways with Link. Link is a really powerful ability that lets you manipulate your Q, in this case to supercharge one aspect of your force. Okay. And that's where, on the other side, some of these models, like, uh, you'll see a model called Moffat. Uh, I have a, the, the, it's, I call it the, um, the dirty old man model. <laughs> um, yeah, Togan and Celia, they both have abilities that screw with your opponent's Q. Mm-hmm. So that's where, if I start to see you start to supercharge and try to play with that linked Q, I'll use Togan I'll try to get him in the queue quickly and put my AOE out so that you're not allowed to put your models back into the queue after they activate. Got ya. Oh. And that breaks that cycle. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. It's like a level of strategy over the game.
1: Yes. Huh. So, and, and these are the things that, when I said it scratched that Malifaux itch for me, this, along with the objectives, is what mm-hmm. I meant. There's a lot more thinking and skill in this game than just basics. You know, the basics of the game are basic and easy. And then there's these this learning curve that they always talked about, that learning curve that they, they pointedly made a point of flattening out for M2E. <laughs> yes. You know, this has that same type of learning curve. Now, we're starting to run into little things where there's some wording... Questions and issues, but I think that's the first edition of any game. Well,
2: it sounds very interesting to me. It's just, I think it would probably be a better game without Relic knights.
1: Possible, yeah. I, I think it would be a better game without this set of models with a new set of models. For example,
2: just just play with questing knights. That's it. <laughs> well, I, well,
1: yeah, we're having fun playing with questing knights. Um, I, my Red Riding Hood, I, I'm actually using a bunch of Malafa models as proxies.
2: What? Which uh, ones?
1: So the alternate Raspy, mm-hmm. uh, the one with the big floating cloak, mm-hmm. she's gonna be my Red Riding Hood.
0: Okay, I can see that.
1: Um there is a there's a model called Hasami. Um she's sort of uh she's got a couple of abilities. She's I guess she's a hairdresser or something. I don't know. She's an anime little girl that I don't like the model of. So I have her card. I'm actually gonna be using um, one of the two Ronin, uh, the the you know the um, Metal the, one. the sucker punch. No, no, no. The the plastic ones. The sucker oh, punch what? Ronin. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be using one of those two for her. Uh, there's two of them. One has a one has the samurai sword behind her back. One is holding the katana sheathed. Mm-hmm. And they both sort of strike the the right aesthetic to me. While they are models that I prefer over the Hasami model. Mm-hmm. Um. There is models in the doctrine called librarians, which are big golems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're horribly out of scope. They're on fifty millimeter bases, they're height three, <laughs> yet they're probably the size of slightly bigger than normal men. Um, they're probably the size of um uh shovel guy. Um 10th oh, vendor sho- um,
0: ah. dude.
1: The ten vendor shovel guy. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're about his size, maybe a little bit bigger, and they're supposed to be on a 50-millimeter base. Wow. So being golems, I'm going to re- be replacing them with ice golems, the new big, huge, beefy ice golem. Yeah. Which I, which will fill that whole 50-millimeter base. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm actually, uh, my plan was to use some of the Through the Breach multipose models to replace my Noviats because I thought I could get some good student... Models out of there, but to be honest, the multi pose models are kind of crap.
0: Yeah, I've seen some pictures of the male ones, and they all look just bad.
1: I, I never ever expected weird. Even if I don't like some of the art, I never expected them to put out bland, lacking in features. Lacking uh, in-
2: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Bill. Which two things did you kept from the Kickstarter?
1: Oh, uh, so I kept. I, I really should reach across the room and get the get the thing. I kept the wicked doll, and I'm trying to remember what my what my wicked doll. It's um,
2: what the blush doll.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, the wicked doll is it's not
2: something I would have kept.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. surpr I, I have to give um, uh Knox. Uh, Knox Wheeler Burf, uh, but he's Knox on the weird birds. Knox is the one that made these dolls for weird. They are fantastic. <laughs> I have to completely applaud him. It makes that, excuse my language, it makes that complete shit Caesar model that they sent out look exactly that. Complete yeah. shit. It, the the wicked doll was fan. It, it really is. He did an incredible, incredible job. Now, Let's be fair, it wasn't created by Weird. They outsourced it to somebody else, and the guy did a good job, so... I, I, you know <laughs> well,
2: there. if you like that sort of thing, you need to get yourself a certain animated movie called Nine. Uh,
1: you know what? Um, yeah, my wife and I watched Nine. That was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm not big into in animation, but we did enjoy Nine. Oh, okay. And, and this will look... You know, it's funny. My wife was expecting the Caesar doll. and. Hmm. When we pulled this out of the box, out of the Kickstarter box, and opened up the wrapping, the wrapping they did very well. When we opened it up, even she, my wife, who is poisonously bio-filled against weird, looked at this and went, okay, that's really good. (laughs) So it's going to sit, ultimately it will sit in my office, on one of my office bookshelves. (laughs) Okay,
2: I'm sorry, guys, but I really need to wrap up now. (laughs) It's been like nearly three hours now.
1: Does it make a good
2: podcast? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, but my parents
0: are going to get really angry now, so... (laughs) 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 Okay, so before we finish then, um, is there any last questions anybody has?
2: I think we pretty much covered everything we planned, which is... I think so.
0: Anything from you, Bill?
1: No, I'm good to go.
0: Okay. Well, in our case, uh, it is I mean, UK time. We are looking about half eleven right now, and I've got a bit for work tomorrow, so it is actually a good time to leave it. So <laughs> <laughs> You've got that. everything, Richard, don't you? <laughs> it's all recorded, <laughs> I hope. Pardon? It's all recorded. Oh, it isn't is. It uh, is saying. Um, for those curious, last in in the last episode, halfway through the recording, something crashed, and I was like, ah! But thankfully, um, uh, uh, um and a- 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 and it was with us. Um, did had also was also recording everything, so we were okay. <laughs> Thank God. And th- at the moment, nothing's crashed, which it'll be okay. <laughs> but when yes, it, it. it is. getting, It is getting late, so yes. So it's good night for me.
1: It's good afternoon for me but I guess it's good night.
0: <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> good night for
2: me here as well. So yes, take care. I should honest. more experiment with alcohol more in the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have to join you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and hopefully next time we can talk about more stuff. So yes. Um yeah. Bye-bye everyone. That's good. Bye. <laughs>
3: Oh